Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hey guys, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. This is episode 80. Uh, this was a little bit late, so apologies for that. I think we're about six days late getting this episode out, but it will be worth the wait for you guys. I have a great guest. I have Jake Tura. Uh, Jake was on the podcast before. It's his second time on the pod, which is a prestige, prestige, a prestigious thing. Uh, I wish my vocabulary was better there. But uh, we had a great chat. We chatted all things tendons, patellar tendon, Achilles tendon, soleus muscles, glute max, quads, uh, tendon research, tendon rehab. Uh, you know, Jake is coming with the goods and he has lots of things to say about lots of things at the end of the podcast as well we chatted about just kind of flowed in this direction towards social media and business and making money and just kind of life stuff and the circle you're surrounding yourself in and all that stuff so uh lots and lots and lots of i think great content in this podcast today i think you're really going to enjoy it if you do as always give it a share for us and tag me and jake that would be great apart from that uh here is the episode i hope you enjoy okay we're on we're on. So, sorry, what have you been up to, Jake? You're back for the second time. You've entered a very elite, prestigious club, so welcome. I know. I thought I was the first, but I'm not. Um, I think Kier, Matt, and must be must be someone else. Maybe not, actually. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what's new? Uh, you're scratching. You're scratching. You should have a mic by now. I, uh, I do, but um it, wa- it wasn't worth using it for this podcast no it's not it's not a seat it's not one like you have it's like a one that sits on your it's a clip um i did have one and it broke because my it was in my backpack oh uh, what's new so i've i tore my lat tendon so i've been um i guess i can't dunk and i can't deadlift i can't really lift heavy so it's like those are uh, I had to replace them, I guess. I, I mean, you, when you when something goes away, you have to replace it with something. And I guess I've replaced it with reading uh, reading tendon books. Um, uh, so that's pretty much what I've been doing. And then posting memes on Instagram to make sales. That's that's How's that that's going? life. Oh, it's good, man. It's been it's been really good. Um, so yeah, this I guess people want more insight into into the lat tendon rehab and what i've learned and stuff and i've just been like i don't really care (laughs) um i got it repaired i got surgery and uh i'm just gonna go through the process so it's been like five weeks and i've just done a range of motion i haven't done too much like i have um uh stitches on the front and stitches underneath so like that's actually been kind of a pain is dealing with this the stitches because it'll open up and bleed um which I think we don't talk about too often when it's like post-surgical. It's like, let's, let's start talking about the connective tissues and loading them, whatever. But it's like all the situations I've had, my skin is always the, the major problem. Um, so yep. letting that go away. But, um, dude, I just, I just look and I'm like, when I get back to doing things, assuming I don't rupture this again, I, I think it's uncomp. It's unlikely that it would happen. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot of left-handed dunks. And I'm gonna probably not do uh, heavy. Which side heavy does which side does the last? It was on my right arm. So okay. Yeah. I mean, I got a question of like, why did how do someone was like, how do I avoid risk of lat lat ruptures? And it's just like, <laughs> it's like, dude, how, how did, you don't do. How did it happen? Sorry, go ahead. 
How did it happen? I, was, I actually don't I was know. Doing, I, uh, really... I was doing a lot. I was doing a uh, trap bar, trap bar deadlift. It was like 550. And I've done 695 before. I guess I was fatter back then, but I'm like, 550 was nothing. Um, so I pulled up 495 like a toothpick. You know, that's what I say when it's easy. And then uh, 550, it just <laughs> it just snapped. And then I I kind of grabbed my arm and went to the went to the bathroom. I was with some of my friends. And they're just kind of like, what's, you know, they, I, they didn't think anything. And then I come back and I'm just like, yeah, I'm done for the day. And I actually took two weeks. I thought it was nothing. I took two weeks because of, you know, the... As it is as a man, you're like I'm invincible. Why well, I didn't I didn't I didn't hurt anything. I just you know I tweaked something, and then I posted the video after two weeks, and and my friend Clifton uh, Clifton Harsky, I he actually tore his lat tendon, and he was like, dude, you need to go in and get that thing looked at. He's like, I'm pretty sure you tore your, <laughs> your lat tendon, and I so I panicked pretty I panicked when he told me that, and I'm like, dude, there's no way. And then I went in and get muscle tests from like this small Asian lady ortho and she's like yeah i'm 90 sure you didn't you didn't tear it and it's like okay i don't believe you but okay and then i get ultrasound and they're like yeah complete complete rupture rupture yeah. oh wow yeah nice. so yeah and then it, it was interesting because he was like he was like i think we're just gonna leave it alone i think you're just gonna be without a lat on your right side and i was like thrown off by that like are you kidding do you know what i do and um he's like yeah but my friend works in the nfl and he he deals with a lot of lat ruptures and they actually don't repair a lot of them and um i was like there's i do i really have to talk this guy into getting surgery so the next day he actually talked to his friend and he was like yeah he actually would repair that so let's go ahead and do that um and function wise where were you at that stage um i just couldn't i just didn't even test it like i couldn't pick things up off the ground um yeah. A week after I did it, I went to – I played pickup basketball, and I kind of got hit on my left side, so I had to stabilize on my right, and that just blew up my whole backside. And um, I was in pain for like – I mean, it was just kind of painful for like two days after that still, and I was like – I think part of it too was Terry's major. Like Terry's major was aggravated. Um, so like the other – the thing was the lat was gone, and now the other muscles can take over because there's so many things going on back there, but – I, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't going to take that route. Like the, the route I could have taken was like non-surgical and then see how I feel after a few months. At that point, the, the lat would have retracted so much more and that's going to be hard to grab and put back up on the bone. So, yeah, my brother tore his bicep, one of his biceps recently, I uh, know months and months ago and yeah, he didn't get surgery on it. He just kind of trained away for a little while it was it was just a freak like a freak accident he was playing football Gaelic football and I think first training session of the season and I think he went to go either went to go and hand a guy off or like pull the ball out of his hands like rip it out of his hands and he just looked down and his bicep was (laughs) was gone like so uh so yeah he I just I did I did nothing with it like he he knew it was it was clearly a, a rupture like but he I just told him he, over text, like, just do some gentle bicep curls when in, in the next few days, like super gentle, or even just like body weight, move your elbow around and stuff. And he waited a few weeks and then he went in to see a surgeon and they, they advised, didn't advise, but they kind of leaned towards like, if you want to take the next 10 weeks off moving your arm, then get surgery. If you don't, you're going to be pretty much fine. So now he's back, back playing football and just didn't get surgery but i feel yeah. like the lat is a much bigger thing yeah how do you do a bicep the, like it's so that the thought is you just have other muscles that can take over right 
uh, but he still had one, so it wasn't so like he was he was okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So I I don't know I don't know the ins and outs of it. I didn't look at scans or even assess him or anything, but he still had. But you 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 just lost your lat like yeah so. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think uh, I mean I was looking I was trying to find because I I tried podcasts or, or even even uh, like PubMed and there's like it's all case reports um, and there's one podcast with Eric Cressy's talked to some uh, baseball surgeon in Chicago about lat tendon tear which was pretty insightful but it's like there's one podcast on the thing and then all the research is like these case studies and the people that do it, there's so many cases they say non-operative, but I yeah. don't know if that was f- complete rupture. And then I think it was also like 56 year old people who don't really need a lat. So they're fine. Um, yeah. And then I was looking at the, a lot of it was rotator cuff um, repair and it was like a lat tendon transfer. And I, I, I was kept asking people, they never told me, I'm like, do they actually take off the lat tendon and put it, as a rotator cuff for some of these old people. Um, but I never got to the bottom of that. I don't know if you know. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I think the only place you're going to be seeing, yeah, football. It's probably football and, yeah, probably football. So, yeah, rugby, you're not going to see too much otherwise. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just like a, a freak a freak accident. And I'm like, I've, I've went down the many ways of why it happened. And uh, I've, I entertain it every once in a while, but it's like I'm gonna find a new reason every day. So let's just mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just take it as it is and, and uh, go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you've been you've been reading tendon books in the meantime. Yeah, I think it, it was actually got before good, got some goods for us. Yeah, it was actually before I, I did that. I was um, what happened? I think I was. Um, I kind of realized I need to, I need to update like my jumper's knee science. Cause I've learned all this stuff about like interfacicular matrix and tendon cells and everything. And I go back to that old book and it's like, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's useful stuff, but I'm like, I could take this so much further than, than where it is. And, uh, I got this book. It was called human tendons. It was from like the nineties maybe. And it was like a huge textbook. And I, man, there was so much like stuff in there that I had I had never seen. And then I came across like 20 more tendon books or 25 and i'm like i'm just gonna buy every single one um and i really had nothing else going on so i'm like let me just let me just read through these and uh i think i have like three more to do um and i actually have taken like very like no notes um (laughs) just read them things go go in and out so i forgot more than i whatever but i think when i go back i'm gonna go back open them up and then i can just scan through them and find the things that i Mm -hmm. that i like one of the difficulties is they'll say things like one book will say something and you're like wow that's really interesting and another book will say the exact opposite and it's like how can you guys have these contradictions um and maybe it's length of time because some of them are written in the 90s and then some of them are more recent um no, it's not because there's still you listen to two of the top most respected researchers in the world today and they will still say the exact opposite thing to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah. You know um, based on current their most current research. So I don't know. Yeah. And uh I I I'm trying so I'm trying to get into it where I'm looking at um, really for me patellar tendon, I guess Achilles I care a little a little bit about, but you get upper body that I don't necessarily care, but um, and I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to look at the cases when you have pain is I'm trying to look at all the times when you get pain, like patellar tendon, people get pain standing. It's like, why, why does your patellar tendon hurt standing? Why does it hurt when you sit down? Why does it hurt when you 
uh, are cold. You know, why does it hurt when you, it doesn't hurt anymore when you warm up. And we say we have the phenomenon that they're happening, but I want to get into why, why is this the case? Um, so yeah, I'm getting pretty deep into the structure and then the structure can kind of tell you about the function. Um, and I think when I can understand this, I can give some pretty, uh, insightful nuggets to people because yeah i've just i've just had those questions over the years and i've experienced i've I've, I've dealt with it myself like when i had it pretty bad i would work like eight hour shifts and my knee would just hurt so bad standing it's like i'm not bending the thing it's not a high load activity but when you can just just look at it from the 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 case of what's going on in the tendon the fluid build up or maybe the um how if if your if your patellar tendon is not working when you're standing you're just gonna your knees are gonna buckle so it's gonna it's gonna be working Mm -hmm. um in that moment Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's it's kind of a lot to take in, and then that whole contradiction thing is such a pain because it's everywhere. Yeah, the yeah same with my patellar tendon. I used to I used to not go for a walk that day because I had training that night. Walking would fucking kill it if it was already slightly aggravated. Driving in the car, and I was working as a sales rep at the time for a, a sports supplements company, so I was just driving for hours a day, and my knee. I was just, I actually, when my knees stopped being sore, I, because Kira used to like, we couldn't go for a walk together. We couldn't go for a drive. She'd be like, we'd go for a spin to like half an hour away for to go to a new coffee shop. I'd be like, no, I have a, I have a game tomorrow. So like, I, I thought I hated driving and being in the car. And actually when my knees stopped being sore, I, I loved drive. I loved going for a spin again. So it was just like my life revolver in my tendon, but it was just so sore for a lot of these things. Yeah um what was i going to say so you said structure dictates function or indicate like you can learn a lot from structure versus function or and function what can you tell us not very smart people about the differences in the structure between like patellar tendon and achilles tendon and what where can we kind of learn from that yeah um dude those two are so similar compared to other tendons it's like there's books on uh, lower limb tendinopathies and it's like patellar and Achilles are kind of lumped together um, because there are differences. I mean, I've, I've, I've talked a little bit about the differences like online where the, the patellar has like that um, kind of straight up and down pull. And then the Achilles has like the slight twist. It is really straight up and down at the same time, but there's like a twist going on. Um, and then, but compare those to like the rotator cuff, which I've heard the rotator cuff talk of like a sock, like, um, when you, if you get a, if you get a, a partial, a partial tear or a hole in your, in your rotator cuff, um, it's like a hole in a sock. So like the whole sock can work. You get a hole in like your patellar tendon. It's like, you're probably going to be in pain and it's going to be hard for that thing to work. Um, probably similar with Achilles. Uh, and then you have like upper body elbow tendons, which are compressed. Like a lot of compression goes on with those with some mashing against the bone. So like that, that can cause issues there. Um, and it's like the the whole concept of energy storage and release, like that's patellar tendon, that's Achilles tendon, um, some of the other tendons in your body, they're not really big energy store and release. It's like they're there just to connect, just so that the muscle can connect to the bone and maybe yeah. maybe uh, tra- transition that, that force from... Tra- transferring energy rather than like being as elastic maybe as the Achilles. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's not, there's not too many like patellar Achilles not too many differences and uh i think you can look at who who develops them like patellar is going to be people who are jumping or people who 
use their patellar tendon a lot. Achilles tendons, anyone, because you use your Achilles your whole life. Uh, you use it when you're walking. Yeah. Um, but the weird thing, so you start to get these, um, you could see these structural problems like fatty infiltration, like um, fatty infiltration within the tendon, calcification within the tendon. And there's some stuff where it's like, it's actually more prevalent in patellar quadriceps than Achilles, which for me was like, that makes no sense at all. But I was like, I wonder if that's because these people stop using their quadriceps and patellar tendon as they get older. And just this disuse causes that issue, those issues. Um, there's really interesting stuff with animals on like the disuse thing where they'll say wild animals like bears and uh, horses and whatever, they won't get, they won't develop a tendinopathy until you domesticate them and have them rest. And if you just put them in a cage, they develop tendinopathy. Um, so the whole tissue is like, use it or use it or lose it. And then it's like, find the perfect balance of using it the right, the perfect right amounts, and then not using it too much to where you uh, develop tendinopathy. So it's like this weird, this weird <laughs> middle ground, but, but it really yeah. goes against when you, when you develop pain that lets it mobilize. And it's like, that's not what the tendon needs. Uh, I mean, Jill Cook has said it like you, you need load on it every day just to maintain structure or whatever. And people would take that and say, you need to do ISOs every day. Or you need to do a loading program every day. And it's like, you don't, you just need to move. You just need to move. move yeah, you yeah. just need to move the tendon and yeah. get load through it. Now, if you have the tendon that's uh, really t- uh, tendinopathic, it's like you probably have areas that don't receive any load because it's stress shielded. So that's where the loading would come in. And you probably have this, yeah. the stress shielded areas more so as you get older. Um, so that's where like slower, slower loading can be beneficial, but yeah, it's like the, the disuse thing is really interesting because that's our, that's our natural thing to do when you get, when you have patellar tendon pain, you just don't want to use it anymore. When I had it, I didn't want to, any pain, any pain. You just want to not load that area. Yeah. And it's like, that's usually the opposite of what you want to do. Um, it's just finding that, man, it's finding that weird, that weird area within the middle of like. And you probably see this with people. Some people push too hard and some people don't push at all. It's like you get the neurotic people who get a little little bit of pain. And they don't want to push at all. And then you have the people that uh, probably push too hard. So it's like the I'd say don't be soft, but it's like don't be stupid and finding the, the middle there. So that's where I think you said this before. It's like if you can just have someone to talk to and like have a look at you, like that can be really beneficial if you're trying to rehab on your own because I give rehab advice to people on their own. And whenever I can get on a call with them, you can usually pick out the obvious thing and be like, okay, yeah. stop doing this. And they stop doing that and they get better. Yeah. Big but it's hard. It's hard to pick it out for yourself. It's very hard to pick it out for yourself. And if you're an arrogant person, I've worked with a lot of arrogant people that will, they're not going to listen to anything I say. And I'm like, that's fine. Go and do all the passive interventions. I'm never going to get through to you. Maybe it's because of who I am or you need to go find someone else you connect with better, resonate with better. But it just comes across with me. I'm like, man, you're an arrogant, you're, you're an arrogant person. Why don't you just, and then they can say I'm arrogant because I think I know better, but I'm like, no, I actually do know better. You don't, you don't yeah. know better. I know better. Um, but that arrogance I bet is you're getting. I bet you're getting less and less of that though, because uh, what arrogant people need is authority. They need to look at someone like who it's clear that they know what they're talking about and it's clear that they have had results and arrogant people will often will often they 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 don't what what arrogance is like they don't it's not that they won't listen to anyone it's that they're they like they see themselves as better as better than everyone so they 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 don't want to listen to someone but when you 
or if they're listening to someone, they want to be able to say to other people, I'm listening to this guy and like, it's clear that they're really good, you know? So you should start, you should have started to see. I do. I do. Yeah, I do. Definitely. Um, it's like the one or two who I usually like meet in my personal life. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, uh, you meet them in your personal life. So like, it's like they, I guess when they, they don't really know you and they can just see your Instagram, it's like you can create this, you can, they say, um, never meet your heroes. And it's yep. like, if I meet them in person already, I can never become a, a big figure in their head. Cause it's like, Hey, I know this guy in person. I know his quirks and then I know his weird mannerisms or whatever. But if they just know it, see yep. you online and they see like, in your case, you got a hundred K followers on IG. It's like, Hey, he knows what he's talking about. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> That uh, I thought that's why like uh, you have to when you're work, especially when you're working in rehab, well, performance as well. You have to be an authority. It doesn't mean you're like trying to be arrogant or saying you know everything. But if you get clients coming into you and you can't speak as an authority, and again, it doesn't mean like I'm saying I am right, but w- clients will walk all over you. They'll they'll you'll say like you're not ready to go back running, and then they'll come in the next week and. They won't have listened to you. They will be very sore again, and they will blame you. Your your stuff that you gave me didn't work, and it's like, hang on here, Bucko. <laughs> like this is, you know, you have to be able to call them out in their shit. So, <laughs> um, I had a one of one of the cases with with tendons is is metabolic health is awful. If you have if you have bad bad metabolic health, uh, it's terrible for your tendons. Um, so. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, that you have to be obese because you can have people who are lean and have type 2 diabetes, have like out of control yeah. blood sugar. Um, my mom's side is like that. My mom's side is like fairly lean, but there's some of them that have type, like type 2 diabetes. They don't take uh, care of it. And then uh, my dad's side, there's quite a bit of type 2. There's a lot of obesity, but there's maybe not as much type 2. So it's like, I guess you, you can't just look at someone and say, lean, you're, you're good metabolic health or obese. I mean, obese, you're probably bad metabolic health anyways, but, yeah. um, yeah, the, 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 the leanness, it can be, you can be lean and have like a, um, what's it called? Hemoglobin A1C. It could be like through the roof and that's not good for, for your soft tissues. It's not good for your tendons. I guess for your, it's not good for your feet. It's not good for your eyes, for your kidneys, but it is definitely not good for your tendons. Not good for the collagen cross-linking, not good for the cells, not good for like the entire thing. And, um, going back to picking out the obvious thing with people, um, I do these like 30 minute phone call stations. I, I did one the other day. It was like, maybe we got like 28 minutes in. And at the end, I, I, I kind of thought I knew this guy, but I guess not. And I'm like, I was like, he's Patel tendon. And I'm like, okay, well, we kind of checked the boxes, all these things you need to be doing. Um, but I'm like, the other thing is metabolic health. I'm like, you're probably a pretty lean guy. Right. And he's like, no, I probably got like 20, 25 pounds to lose. And I was like, oh dude. Um, and he was thinking of getting PRP and getting, um, uh yeah. what other other passive interventions and i just called him out like bro you just gotta quit being fat man like you you want to go yeah. get, you want to go get injected and you want to go to the doctor and get all these passive things done you need to take care of yourself and i bet you if you lost this this extra weight your tendon would feel better um yeah and i'm not going to be the one to try to change this behavior for you uh you just got to do it bro <laughs> Yeah, but he probably needed to be like, that should be almost obvious to him in some ways, but it's hard for us to see that. But like, he needed you to say that to him. You can't, you can't, you can't baby your clients and not say this stuff, you know? Now, there's a way to say it. Like, there's a way to be, some people might not want to hear hear that, but you have to be honest with them. You have to be an authority. 
And yeah, you have to say stuff. Same again, my brother, actually, funnily enough, I just thought about this, but he's been saying for years that when his diet, when he eats chocolate and a lot of bread, his elbows, like he gets tendinopathy in his elbows and, and painful knees as well. So that's funny. And I just thought about that now. And he also ruptured his voice. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. oh. so the, uh, dude, okay. So one of the, one of the difficulties with tendons is, uh, so last, um, was it last winter? So like right now I'm in the process of trying to understand tendons. And last year I was in the process of trying to understand anterior knee, um, like patellofemoral pain, uh, the plica, bursa, uh, fat pad, all these, everything going on anterior knee. And I, I understand it pretty well now. Um, but one of the, one of the problems, and I guess I got this early on too, is like when I started looking into patellar tendinopathy and doing ISOs, it's like people would just get anterior knee pain and be like, should I do ISOs? And it's like, well, let's try to confirm it's a tendon because you have so many other structures going on. Um, and I wonder, I, I, I talked to Jordan Kilgannon, that, that pro dunker, um, long time ago. And he's like, if he eats McDonald's or something, his tendon blows up, his patellar tendon blows up. Yeah. But I wonder if, is this actually the tendon or is it one of the other structures around? Um, because it could be, it could just be patellofemoral pain, like the weird pain around the knee. Um, it could, it, and that's usually associated with, um, I think that's associated with kind of inflammation or what do they call that? Swelling? What's the term for that? Uh, yeah, maybe, infl- maybe just inflammation. Like, yeah, well, that, well, that's, you'd be more likely to think like, yeah, my joints will get sore when I'm starting to. Yeah, like shit. yeah, yeah. But, but, but I personally, like, I know that the, the diagnosis around the tendinopathy versus something else at the knee is important or, or of course around the Achilles or the ankle like you're you're trying to understand what's actually going on for me personally with my tendon my patellar tendon there was no doubt in my mind ever that this was a patellar tendinopathy it was like an open and close yeah. this this is what it is it, there's no doubt whatsoever and there was actually no doubt from anyone I ever saw like 100% yes this is has all the signs so I would imagine I would presume that someone like Jordan who knows his body well and pr- pr- I don't know him but I presume he's he knows what the fuck is going on. I presume he would if he would be saying like fairly accurately that this is a ten- this is when this is happening like it's my tendon that is yeah. sore, not anything yeah. else. Yeah, um, I guess I've I've been lucky to deal with mostly every uh, type of anterior thing. Like I've had a uh, last winter, <laughs> like I go I go deer hunting in the winter here, and I, I went out for like one hour. It was freezing out. I had to leave because I was so cold. My knees hurt so bad my knees were just frozen. And then I came in, I had to rush. I, I did a squat. I think I did one thirty-five pound squat for warm up, And I think I was at the bottom, my fat pad, man, it just pinched. And it was like in mm-hmm. it, it was sharp pain. I had to stop training. And I dealt with that for like maybe two weeks. And I just, I just let it settle and it went away. Um, but dude, that was a crazy pain. Like so unlike the patellar tendon. So for yeah. my, my ability to relate to someone now of like, feeling the fat pad pain okay i know what that's like and then patellofemoral i've had off and on um but it's usually been acute cases where i'm like i just overload a little bit and then um like Mm -hmm. it's like tough to sleep at night because i could find the right position or get my quads in a spot where i feel like they're not pulling on the kneecap excessively i don't know what it is but it just goes away and some people deal with patellofemoral for a long time for Um, years but yeah the that's the thing with the diagnosis is you're you're always like you, I, I think it's helpful for exclusion. Like they say, imaging, imaging is so helpful for exclusion because it's like my knee hurts. If you go get that thing imaged, you could find like your patella is fractured 
and I'm not going to rehab you through a patella fracture. I mean, we can, we can, we, we probably can get around most of those things by just take gradually helping you, but go and find out if there's something seriously wrong. And then it's like excluding that by getting the imaging and getting the doctor look at it. And then we can go on and say, let's, let's follow this uh, smart loading. Yeah. But that's the elephant in the room thing. Like if we, I, I kind of have a three session rule type thing where if, if I'm pretty sure it's, this is what's going on. And I've seen predictable and repeatable results that when it's like a patellar tendon, when it's X, Y, and Z, we should, when we do these type of things, now we'll try and individualize it as much as possible. Like you should see improvements. And three sessions later, you know, we've tweaked things, we've tried different things and it's just not getting better. That's when I'm like, okay, let's let's have a look at, either I'll send you to someone else who I feel like will, will look at this with a different set of eyes or go and get some imaging done because it's worthwhile. Now, if that was a professional athlete, I would do that very soon. I would do that probably earlier than the three sessions. Well, depends on the structure, depends on the person as well, because sometimes they might get that in their head then. Hey guys, David here. Just a quick break from the show. We just announced our workshops for the US for 2023. Our only two workshops are going to be in New York City and Washington, D.C., teaching our lower limb rehab, biomechanics, and performance weekend workshops. So we're going to be in New York the 7th and 8th of October, and we're going to be in D.C. the 14th and 15th of October. So come and hang out. The early bird is available. I think we sold about half the tickets in the first 48 hours. So these workshops will sell out. If you want to come and see us, it's the only time we're going to be in the US for 2023 and I think 2024 because we're going to be taking a break from workshops. So this could be your last chance. I'll put a link for the tickets in the show notes below and hopefully you can come and hang out. Uh, talk a bit more about the sh- stress shielding. Yeah, um, so I guess the, the idea is the the. Te- the tendon is going to find a way to work. It's going to find a way to, if you're talking patellar tendon, it's going to find a way to transition what's happening from the quad to the tibia or, or I guess tibia to the quad. It's going to find a way to work. And you get these pockets where you might have a like partial tear, you might have degeneration. And then the idea is those just aren't loaded. And the it's just loading the areas around that. And actually the area that's not loaded uh, would start to behave more like, I guess it would behave more like cartilage because it's getting compressed by everything around it. So you don't necessarily want that in a tendon because now that area is just like dysfunctional. Um, They would say back, Jill Cook, Sean Dawkins would say it's mechanically silent. Like that area is mechanically silent and you can't heal that area. It's, It's just basically inert and dead, not dead, but like it's inert. So, and then Keith Barr comes out and he's like, uh, heavy ISO. So let's try to, um, get that, get that thing back. And I guess he's seen that through, he's seen that through MRIs, I guess ultrasound too. Yeah. He's seen it through MRI and ultrasound where that area you can, you can see on those images that there's like a a hole there or the, the collagen is not well aligned. And I guess Keith Mm -hmm. has seen it where it's, it's become well aligned collagen again, only like two case studies to, to my knowledge. So it's like, it's very few. And then some of it's been in like, like rats where they've, they've, they, they did a rat study, really interesting, where they just they did punched it. They punched a hole in the – I think it was a patellar. They punched a hole in the patellar tendon. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they punched no. a rat. <laughs> they <laughs> they uh, I just fucking saw what happened. <laughs> just bit the shit out of a rat. <laughs> uh, um, and then they, they did uh, 
one one group did like dynamic loading, one group did uh, isometric loading, and they saw the isometrics got that got that um, stress relaxation effect. Um, someone on Twitter was interesting. He was like, "Why are we using this study? No one ever develops tendinopathy by punching a hole in their tendon." Um, <laughs> but you, I mean, it, I think obviously you're not going to draw complete parallels with that in a human. Um, but dude, most of I think I got this on one of my reels the other day. Uh, Keith, I posted the Keith Barr video, which like got a lot of views. But this guy was like, "We need, we can't use animal models for tendons." And then I was like, "Yes, we can." Mostly everything we know about tendons is animal models. We're not going to, we're <laughs> yeah. not going to take, we're not going to, a healthy human, we're not going to biopsy their tendon, or we're not going to put, put a healthy person through the loading intervention, or even a tendinopathic one. Um, we're going to learn it through like rabbits and mice and rats, um, because I guess it's more ethical to euthanize those animals or horses. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, yeah, he kind of ha- yeah. We 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 absolutely can because it's just the it's just a narrative. You're not saying this this t- study done on rats definitely means this with humans, but it's 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 something. It's not yeah. nothing. Like. Yeah, and it's it and it's like the, the structure. I mean, the structure is very similar. Like like the the horse the horse tendons you look at very similar to Achilles. Um, not completely. They have four legs. We only run on two. But um. Yeah, the guy was arguing, and then he's like, "I go read this study and linked this. Like, it was like limitations of animal models for tendinopathy." And I'm like, "Did this dude just Google this stu- <laughs> Google this study and bring it up? Like, I've read this thing, and this actually does not support your case." Um, but yeah, you have to. The, the things you learn about tendons, like they, they do some talking about that hole punch thing to develop tendinopathy. They do some things with with animals, which I guess you can take for humans, like some of it is injecting chemicals into the tendon. Like they inject uh, collagenase or they inject um, matrix uh, MMPs, which people can have um, an overrun of those in their body, which de- degrades their tendons. So they, they research that or they research uphill, like uphill running, downhill running, um, loading, like loading the animal uh, um, for hours, just, just not giving them a break. Uh, disuse. They just put them in a cage and have them chill, and that's that's terrible for them. Uh, they do they do a lot of things to just invoke tendinopathy, and you can just look at the way they're invoking tendinopathy, and then take that for a human and be like, okay, avoid these things. Um, like one of them was the, the antibiotic uh, flora it's I don't know if they give those to people anymore, but that is really correlated with the tendon rupture. So that's one thing. It's like I would think if you're taking antibiotics in general, that that would not be not be very beneficial for tendons. But um, it, it is useful. You can look at all the ways they're invoking tendinopathy in the animal and be like, let me let me just kind of avoid these things that they're doing in the animals to maybe keep my tendons healthier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, back to patellar versus Achilles. Not necessarily structure now, but there's some differences, but they're very similar. What about rehab boys? Where are you on? Well, that? rehab. You're the Achilles guy now, so people just go to you. Um, the <laughs> no, but where are you? Where are you on Achilles? Yeah. Versus so the thing with uh, well, this is what I do online. If anyone ever comes to me for Achilles, I'm glad you have your program because I'm like by David Gray's program. Um, that's usually that's usually where I go. Thank uh, you. Yeah, pretty- and they and they come back to you six weeks later and say, "I feel great." Yeah. Well, I don't know actually. I just I just say it, and I'm like. Just, just okay <laughs> three weeks three weeks later um but uh yeah so i think i think it's it's got to be that so much of it so much out there is achilles like there's not achilles is much more popular than 
uh, patellar. Popular. Yeah, like I, I guess <laughs> it's, a, it's mainstream. Well, more people more people get it than a patellar, I guess. You mm-hmm. know. Um. Mm-hmm. So the and just from what I've seen, like I'm I I get so researcher heavy looking at what the researchers do, and they're just like do the loading program. It's then that's yeah. it, and I'm like you look at the bones of the feet or I guess yeah, like just go back to the structure and it's like, there's probably some, there could be some other thing going on than just let's load the Achilles with the heavy ISO and then progress into, uh, <laughs> um, calf raises up and down and then progress into the, the pogo hops. And then, Hey, there you go back to sports. And I guess it does work. I mean, we, sh- we can't say that it doesn't work. It does work for a lot of people, but people will run into, run into issues with that. So like patellar, um, as, as far as, just look at the structure is like, what do you have? Do you have the, the knee, which like goes up and down a little bit of rotation. I guess it, it can be affected. What's happening at the hip it can be affected. Mm-hmm. What's happening at the foot. Um, I would kind of think though, if the, if the hips messed up or the biomechanics of the, the way that you move is really poor. Um, I don't know if you'd be developing the patellar tendinopathy because that's usually the person who can put a lot of force through the patellar tendon, which probably means they have to have pretty decent biomechanics. Um, so I would I would more be thinking like patellofemoral pain or some other issue. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I do. I, I, I think it's the other way around. I think when you get patellar tendinopathy, that has a massive influence on now on your biomechanics, on your gait cycle, how you move, how you don't want to bend your knee. And when you don't flex your knee, you don't flex your ankle and you don't flex your hip. The knee is in between. The knee, like the the, the knee issues poorly rehab knee issues, tendinopathies, knee pain. ACL injuries, uh, meniscus, anything, any any of that stuff, anything poorly rehab knees that don't want to flex will fuck up everything. Knees, ankles, they'll, a lot of people will end up with patellar tendinopathy and then pick up an Achilles tendinopathy as well, loads. That happened to me. Uh, you stop you stop bending at the knee joint, which means you stop bending at the ankle and the hip. So I would say it's the other way around, not necessarily that... I would say, yeah, you pick up the tendinopathy in your patellar and then you start to pick up problems everywhere else because you actually don't load into that side at all. Why would you want yeah. to? Yeah. Um, and, this, and this is what, maybe it's confirmation bias. You know, who cares if I use confirmation bias? I'm going to use it anyways. Um, the, <laughs> uh, Seth O'Neill had a video. He was, I mean, he referenced this study. I kind of kind of looked into it. It was a pretty small sample size, but it was like the people who had patellar tendinopathy had a, and it was through ultrasound, which is probably the way to determine stiffness of the tendon. Um, because you can't, I, I mean, using a dynamic exercise to determine stiffness, like the, the, the strength or the, the, it doesn't, it doesn't elong, like it doesn't elongate that much for how much you're pulling on it. That would be a stiffer structure. Uh, the, the, the patellar gets stiffer with patellar tendinopathy, which would make sense. You don't bend it anymore. That whole thing, like you can still perform. You're just not going to be bending your knee. It's really stiff. But then they were looking at Achilles and they saw that people with Achilles tendinopathy actually had a more compliant tendon. So it actually strained more, um, Mm -hmm. which was interesting to me that I don't know if that's something you see. I mean, I, 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 so I use the phrase of, uh, I said Jolly Rancher, um, patellar because it got stiff. And then bubblegum Achilles because it got compliance. Because um, my friend, my friend Mike Kozak in Columbus, Ohio, he, he he trains a lot of younger athletes and some females. He's like, dude, they just got a bubblegum Achilles, man. Like the thing doesn't <laughs> like their heel just drops when they're trying to do a sprint or something. He's like, I'm trying to get the, that thing to engage and actually use it. Um, do you see that with Achilles or, or? Yeah, but I didn't think about it in that way with regards to tendinopathies. 
You know what I mean? I didn't think about it. Oh, the Achilles actually gets more compliant with a tendinopathy. I just see some people that can't use their Achilles very well yeah. uh, in general. So I'll have to think more about that. And, and, out and they, that. so uh, Karen, Karen Silvernago is like a Achilles rupture researcher, I think in Delaware. She, and she's, she said, I think it's when you get tendinopathy and rupture that the tendon actually gets longer too. Like the tendon lengthens out, which I guess you wouldn't, would mm-hmm. kind of be counterintuitive because you'd think you rupture you and it gets healed. You would think it would constrict and kind of like, you know what I mean? Be more, be more stiff. But he, she was like, the tendon actually gets longer and that's something you want to avoid in rehab. Um, but then I was like, is that every tendon or is that just Achilles that it would get longer? I don't know. But it, I mean, it was interesting. And then I'm like, how do you, I mean, how, what are the interventions to decrease tendon lengthening? It's like, I guess the only thing you really have is, is muscle strength. So the muscle can pull on that thing. And, and, um, and the, and the tendon is probably uh, the way I look at it is like for you to start adapting a muscle, that muscle adapts pretty, pretty quick and get gains in muscle strength or losses in muscle strength pretty fast. And I think the tendon is a lagging one, like the tendon, as you increase muscle strength, the tendon will also get stiffer, will get stronger, but it's going to take longer. Um, Mm -hmm. And the same way, if your muscle gets super weak, the tendon is probably going to start losing its, its, um, I guess, stiffness characteristics, I would think, uh, but a little bit slower. So I look at it, it's kind of like a lagging thing. I think I was trying to look at delayed onset when people get delayed onset muscle soreness, um, cause it's pretty common. You get delayed onset muscle soreness if you haven't done anything in a while. And I was thinking when you look at when someone develops a tendinopathy, they get tendinopathy on this one day, but the cycle of that is they've caused structural damage weeks or months prior. And then the tendon pain comes. It's like the, they call it the iceberg theory where the top of the iceberg is pain and all the way at the, the bottom is like the training errors and then the structural damage. <laughs> yeah. And then finally you develop pain. And I'm like, I was wondering because the tendon is not the, the, um, I guess the, the nerves going into the tendon are mostly on the outside. There's, and there's definitely not, it's not as sensitive as, a muscle to changes like muscle, you, you know, what's going on. Cause the thing, um, is, is really innervated and a lot of blood flow, a lot of activity. The tendon is not, is not so much. The tendon exists in like this low oxygen state of like near death. And it just is able to, it's able to <laughs> zombie. Yeah. It's able to, it's able, it's able to, um, like you're running a marathon, your, uh, your calf muscle can just do work and work like isometrically and your, your Achilles can exist there and do, do a ton of loading and unloading in this low oxygen state. Like you're just beating the thing and it's able to, it's able to withstand it. Um, so I, the way I look at things is like the, the tendon is like this, this structure that can, can, can go through a lot, but you won't really know what's going on until it's kind of too late. Um, cause that pain will come in later. So, um, yeah, I was look I was looking at the, the muscle thing. And I'm like, your muscle pretty much tells you, but when someone gets some delayed onset muscle soreness, I wonder if that's also going along with, with structural problems with your tendon. I wonder if you get structural problems with your tendon, because wh- why did you, I kind of look at why did you get delayed onset muscle soreness? It's usually, uh, you weren't accustomed to the activity. You went in and, and did the activity. And I'm thinking that the, the coordination of the muscle isn't good. Like you're, you're kind of not fresh with the coordination. So that's probably why you're getting all this damage there. But then I'm like, if the muscle's not working that well, are you also yanking on the tendon more just to make up for it? And then the next day or the next two days, you're like, well, my muscles, my muscles blown. Like it, it hurts. And I'm like, I wonder if you image your tendon, would that, would there be structural problems there or not? 
Um, it's just kind of a thought I've had, but yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, it just depends. I suppose that's where like people who are doing activities that are slightly newer to them or they haven't done in a while, it's so important that they're getting their rest because like you go and play basketball. If you haven't played in three years, you're going to wake up very sore the next day and probably the day after. So the presumption is like, yeah, they, of course, if your tendon, if your muscles feeling like that, your tendon is like that. It's just not feeling like that. But if you go again the next day and again the next day, and then a few weeks later, maybe maybe something's starting to crop up. So yeah, yeah. The and yeah. then I I look at strain. So like this this idea of tendon strain, um, which uh, I guess I think last time we talked, I'm like I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a smart dude. I just I know the tendon or whatever. <laughs> And then I remember you said it. You said that um, you, what did you say? I'm, I'm sneaky smart or something. And I remembered that. I, I don't do well with compliments, but every once in a while I get a compliment, I remember it. Um, and I, I did. I did appreciate that because I'm like, you know what? And actually, the the more people, you know smart. what? Though the more people, the more people I deal with, I'm like, man, some of you people just aren't smart. Some of you people are just not smart. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I uh, it's it's rough to deal with that. It's like I don't, I don't know. Conversation done just move on or just let, <laughs> let me take the reins on what you're doing and just, just do it, do what I tell you. But, um, the, I, I heard a quote the other day. I actually don't know the quote, but it was something not, not, not as good as this, but it was something like, um, at some stage, persistence starts to look like greatness or something like that, which is just, you've just spent years learning and now you're in the top one. No, sorry. Yeah, the top easily the top one percent, the top ten people in the world that know shit about tendons, <laughs> probably top twenty. So like, I don't know if you just started following you today on Instagram, some young kid, they're like, this guy knows everything. He's a genius, but it's just persistence. Yeah, it's yeah. not definitely not being an idiot. You have to have a base level of intelligence, but that plus persistence starts to look like great. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, I seen it. I seen not the it. quote, but something. You know, like I seen it the other day. It was like if you play, if you play the game and think in terms of decades, there's no way you could lose. And I'm like, exactly. I guess I've been in the online business for over a decade. The tendon thing, I've been in for like three years. So, anytime I get frustrated about why I don't understand things with tendons, I'm just like, dude, I've been doing this for three years. Like, uh, I will get there. I just hope I don't lose the love for it by the time the decade's up, because maybe at some point it will happen. But um, so going back to the delayed onset. Uh, muscle soreness thing causing the tendon thing the tendon strain so this idea of tendon strain i said i'm not too intelligent because it's taken me a really long time to understand tendon strain and it's basically just elongation like the tendon is is when the tendon's relaxed it's sitting there crimped like it has this little bend the collagen has a little bend to it and then to get rid of the crimp you just give it a little bit of stress a little bit of pull from the muscle or the usually from the muscle i guess the joint position because the, the tendon is responding to what the bone is doing and what the muscle is doing. So I guess on either end, you can get a pull. And that's going to get rid of the crimp. It's going to get a strain through the tendon. The problem is um, usually when you get older, or I guess you could look at a young child who's still growing. Their skeleton is still growing. They're getting a pull on their tendon by just their bones, getting, their bones growing. So they're getting tendon adaptation without muscle activation because they're growing. As you get older, your, your skeleton is done growing. The only way for you to maintain tendon is to get muscular, mus, muscle to pull on it. Um, so tendon strain is you pull on the tendon, and then how, long, how much does it elongate? And it can only elongate like, this is so variable in the research, 
10%, 15% before you actually rupture the thing. Um, so it doesn't elongate too much to, to, from its normal length. Uh, so I look at the, the ATG system. And the ATG is all about, so let's do the ATG split squat, go super deep into this position. And then you would think, okay, deep position, you're getting a lot of, you're getting a lot of pull on the tendon. It's good for the tendon. You need to train deep ranges. But I don't think that's happening at all because the tendon is stiffer than the muscle. So for you to make up that, that joint position, you're just going to be straining the muscle more because they're, they're in series. So you get to a deep ATG split squat, you're pulling, you're pulling the life out of your muscle and I don't think you're getting tendon strain as much as you could if you're just doing a higher level split squat loaded as heavy as possible because now your muscle is going to yeah. be pulling harder on that. It's more advantageous too because a deep yeah. position of a split squat is not advantageous for your quad. If you get to a, yeah. a higher position where you can like load it up as heavy as possible, really advantageous for your muscle, which means you're going to be pulling on your tendon more, getting more tendon elongation, which depending on the health of your tendon, if your tendon is very unhealthy, you do not want to be getting a lot of elongation. Um, it's probably going to blow it up, but assuming you've progressed that and you can handle it, you get elongation. So, um, I was also wondering with that whole delayed onset muscle soreness thing, um, you get the muscle damage tapping into the tendon. Uh, I wonder, because you talk about tendon, tendon strain needs, needs a lot of pull from the muscle. I wonder what's, what could be happening there. If that was happening, would it be that the, the muscle, like if the muscle can't do the job, the tendon will do the job. The tendon will start to strain more. So I'm like, if the muscle's already not doing the job and it's having a hard time and it's like getting to that point of like, would the, as the muscle is sucks at the coordination of the activity, it would probably, short, it would probably there, shorten more, right? It would probably get. I don't, I don't okay. know. I don't know the physiology, but I do know, like, and you do know, obvi very obviously, uh, when you work with clients with patellar tendinopathy in particular, their quads waste away. It's the most visually yeah, yeah, obvious yeah. thing. They end up with no quads. But with, the, with an Achilles tendinopathy, you often see people with big calves, which is very interesting to me. So, like, and now maybe that's because they did uh, 10 bazillion calf <laughs> raises, but also... Oh, but also a lot of like people who do bodybuilding or just try and get bigger in the gym say i struggle to build my calves they're i, I can't make my calves grow but people with, with i see people all the time with achilles tendinopathies who already have big big calves i rarely see people with with patellar tendinopathy who have really strong quads mm -hmm. so there's a big difference for me there between those two tendons um and just going back to what you're saying about the ATG stuff, I think that speaks to like joint health, fully flex your knees, fully flex your ankles, fully flex your hips, keep your joints moving really well. If now, obviously that can cause pain in the joints as well. Anything could be anything progressively, but like get your joints moving through full range of motion. But for tendon health, particularly again with patellar tendon, as you know, more than anyone, training like that middle range and going much heavier is going to be much better for it. Yeah. 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 And then, and we talk about strain and really only getting the, the tensile load, like pulling on the tendon elongation, but you also have the compressive load. And that's one, that's one thought that's out there is that the bottom of the patella bone has kind of that, that bump on it. And it's like, if you get to deep yeah. positions, you could be causing this compression. And that's usually because it's, it's get, the tendons mashing against the bone. And that's usually where you get, you see the, the hole, um, of, of the tendon is the backside of the tendon and it's like the deep stuff 
how much you really need that, I guess. If you're trying to load it heavy, yes, you want to make sure your joints can can get to deep positions and like be able to bend your knee fully. But um, yeah, when you're trying to get to like let's let's adapt the tendon as, as much as possible. Uh, yeah, I, I, every once in a while I go on the Reddit. There's a Reddit page for knees over toes. And it, they used to tag me a lot. They used to, people get patellar tendon and they'd be like, get Jake Terrace program, get Jake Terrace. And I, it was not my influence at all. It was just like people got good results. They would say that. But yeah, the, 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 the banter these kids have on tendon issues, it's, it's so bad. They, they're so clueless. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's usually just the anecdotes of like, well, this works for me and uh, go do the backwards walking for your quad or for your patellar tendon. Um, but yeah, it's uh uh, it, it does, it does bring a lot of like, I, I was curious, I was interested on that, uh, the calf thing. Cause I think I asked you earlier and you, you said you didn't really know, like maybe a year ago about people with the quad wasting and the patellar, but then they also said the calf wasting and the Achilles. And I'm like, is that really even a thing? Or did the re- did the researchers say, like, I've never seen them actually measure the girth of the calf. It, it is a know? thing. It is a thing after a while. I think it starts to waste away again because people just stop okay, actually yeah. loading that, but a lot of, but athletes, that's, I think, because if they, if they looked at that research, I bet you they do it with older people again, who like, yeah, they can't even do a single calf raise. But I mean, athletes, I mean, athletes who are still playing like sport at a decent level, not necessarily pro athletes, but a lot of pro athletes as well. You can look very clearly at basketballers or people who pick up patellar tendinopathies and they've had it for a while and their quads have wasted away despite doing all this quad work it's very or their quad on one side it's visually smaller but that's not often the case with an achilles mm-hmm. it's really not um yeah which is also good for patellar tendon rehab because it's so clear you're just like yeah we just need to get you loading the quad it's there's so much inhibition around that muscle which it still wrecks my head why a nervous system would do this it's like your knee, your tendon is so sore but you refuse to use your quads <laughs> why are you doing this yeah. it's illogical but like that's all that's pretty much all injuries with yeah or issues it's not an injury all issues in the body when there's pain around the area they just find a way to come around yeah. it so like if you give a nervous system a choice like you have a, a patella, right patellar tendinopathy it's very sore i'm going to use my left leg as much as possible but if you force me to use my right leg i'm going to try and not use that area but that ends up loading the tendon more yeah, so it's like yeah. fucking, if you could just talk to the nervous system and say like what are you doing <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but the best way of talking to it is probably like just loading it isometrics mid-range whatever it is get the quad firing reduce inhibition and now and now they start to bend their knee again. That's how you improve biomechanics with a patellar tendon is load the quad, reduce in- inhibition. Now you bend your knee. With an Achilles, it's I think it's yeah, it's this it's it's similar, but what often improves Achilles tendonopathies, and I'm not dogmatic about this, or I'm not trying to be biased because I'm very clearly saying patellar tendon, like do do your mid-range isometrics it get the quads firing but i just don't see the same thing with the calves or at least not the the soleus muscle like i think opening up the foot especially when you're talking about compression and maybe insertional achilles if that heel bone is stuck and it's in more of like a, a tucked under posterior tilted heel bone and you try and bend your knee you're gonna have no no dorsiflexion and you're just smashing the achilles against the bone like that needs to get the foot moving the heel bone and the rear foot has to start moving um but I thought it was a KOT calf race was the key for Achilles <laughs> bulletproofing. <laughs> um, the uh, let me uh, so the 
this is one thing too that's that's so like tendon strain took me a while to get so like and I, I think I have a pretty good grasp on tendon strain. Uh, back in the day, Jill was saying like the muscle strength is protective of tendon or, uh, or like muscular endurance is even protective of tendon. And I just took it. I'm like, great, let's go strengthen the muscle. But I really didn't get it. I really did not understand it. And I think the strain, the idea of tendon strain or muscle and tendon strain, that really like brought it home for me of like, if you're, if you're going to play basketball, you jump 40 inches and your mus- your quad muscle is not able to do anything. It's like tiny. You're just going to be yanking on the tendon more. That's all you're going to be doing. And you're going to be making up for it. And maybe what you used to do as an 8% strain of your patellar is now a 10%. And then it's a 12%. And then it's a 15 And then if you keep going and your quad is absolutely nothing, you probably have a pretty good chance. Now, rupture is super rare. But I'm like, you are giving yourself a good uh, chance for rupture. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that because some very smart people are like the link between tendinopathy and rupture is not there. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I just don't know, but people they'll say ruptures, the people who rupture, they already have this degeneration in the first place. They already have a compromised tendon. And I'm like, yeah. you get a compromised tendon. There are many ways to get a compromised tendon. Like, as we said, disuse, uh, antibiotics, whatever, but the compromised tendon could probably be coming from that muscle has done nothing for way too long and you just been yanking the life out of the tendon. And then at some point it just goes, um, I was, dude, yeah. I was pain or not pain or not pain. Yeah. Like, yeah. pain. And, or not pain. and then it's almost like you, I wonder that, uh, the pain comes in and the, the idea is pain is protective. Pain is stopping you from loading the tendon further to get to rupture. But you have those cases where like you'll take away pain and I guess you can take away pain with like a cortisone shot, right? Do you really want to be doing that? Because now you're loading a compromised tendon that doesn't want to be loaded. You just decrease pain. It's the same with the warm-up effect. If you have a really compromised bad tendon and you just warm up a bit, now you're able to go play. And it's like, you keep doing that. You should probably follow a rehab program so you just get rid of the pain in the first place. But uh, I don't want to fear people because ruptures are like so rare. But um, mm-hmm. And we also don't really know the, the exact mechanism for the rupture. So, But it does put it in my head and I'm like, just just – rehab the thing well so you don't have that pain and you're probably in in a better case i mean i've seen a few cases of people rehabbing patellar tendinopathy and getting getting good and then it's like they rupture it and it's like oh that sucks time to rehab again (laughs) yeah uh, that sucks the 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 warm-up effect like the analgesic effect that you're saying i think that's the that's the biggest how do i put this that's the biggest problem with tendon rehab is the fact that you feel better when you warm up because all people they'll find a couple of exercises that make them feel a bit better or they'll just go and start playing basketball and they feel better after 15 minutes and that's that's something that allows you to just get through things it allows you feel just good enough and that's the same i bet you if you like had some way to be a fly on the wall anyone who bought your program and you saw them doing the leg extension exercise uh isometric leg extension let's say and you were watching them You'll, you'll see them for the first week, like play around with the weight, put it up, put it up, put it up. And then they start feeling better. And I bet you they don't go, they, they don't keep putting up the weight because they feel like, oh, this is this. I feel good when I do this weight. But actually, it's not about the analgesic effect. It's about making the muscles stronger. And if you were in bodybuilding circles or powerlifting, it would be about lifting more, getting more tension through the muscle. So people... That I fell into that trap for a long time. This is this this stuff makes me just feel good enough to get through the next session. And actually, 
over I have now I'm adamant with my clients now like adamant if in if in if you're doing patellar tendon rehab and you're using leg extension you're using these type of squats if in three months time you're not lifting more on this exercise or holding it for longer or whatever they are doing an extra couple of sets like this is pointless don't do it <laughs> yeah oh yeah it, it's I, I try to i've had a man a lot of things jill has said were really useful and then some of them really were bad um like one of them one of them was i think this was two three years ago i had a guy uh patellar tendon pain started my program heavy isos just like heavy isos go and does them knee blew up for like two weeks afterwards and uh because jill was like you do heavy tendons love heavy isos and um I don't think his tendon was in a good tendon was in a terrible spot in the first place. Um, so I told him just, just scale back a little bit, start lighter. And I think probably what happened was if you get on a heavy ISO, let's, let's just say arbitrary number. If the tendon is going to strain like 10% because you're pulling on it so much, uh, a really bad tendon doesn't want to take 10% strain. Like that is terrible for it. So he might can only handle 2% and then the next session three and then four or five. And that's, and the, and the strain is just going to come from, the the pin on the like extension you know are going to go heavier and heavier um and then you get to the point where that's health the the muscle is now stronger the tendons more healthy it can handle a high level of strain um the dude i was listening to there's this one guy he's he's pretty big on on instagram has like a podcast he's done like three episodes on tendons for athletes tendon strength and whatever um just awful man (laughs) um the it, it was like it's just all he knows is like the lifting for because because you go on uh, there's that one study and they're like how to increase tendon strength and stiffness and it's like lift eighty percent load plus or ninety percent load plus it's like this meta analysis this systematic review whatever um, and I would agree for a rehab patient for rehab you want to increase the strength of your tendon let's get to doing heavy loaded things that's probably gonna that's what you need to get strain to strengthen the tendon uh probably reorient collagen get the structure healthier but it's like if okay that's for tendon tendon strength for those rehab people but i'm looking at someone who's never had tendon tendon pain uh and they're just a freak athlete and i'm like if we just kind of reverse reverse the whole process it's like this guy has a super stiff and strong tendon he did not get that from heavy isos because he never did heavy isos a day in his life so this the when you start to put that thought in it's like how do athletes get stronger tendons heavy isometrics it's like the athletes with the oh so this this guy is talking about not with not rehab no, no, not rehab just just, just how to take general. yeah Basically, and the phrase, I, I love when people say this, how to preferentially train the tendon over the muscle. Um, yeah. When you say the term preferentially, like, come on, bro. Um, I just don't like I just don't like that word. And it's like, um, but at the same time, preferentially train the, the tendon over the muscle is like, in order for you to train the tendon, it means you have to load the muscle even heavier than what you already are doing. Um, so, but yeah, that whole, that whole thing of if you're, I think this is where when you have someone in pain and they need to rehab, Let's go and do this, increase strength, stiffness, whatever. But you have someone who's completely healthy and they're at the, like the peak level of athleticism, elite athlete. Do we really need to be doing heavy isos? I don't think currently at this stage, I would say like, let's give an intervention when there's not an inter- intervention needed. No. You know? Just just good training yeah. at that stage. It's just good. If, 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 if isometric training makes up part of good training for whatever reason, but it doesn't need to be... yeah tendon yeah targeted at and the I, tendon it's just good training i, I, think. I listen i mean i listen to, i love listening to shows like that because it just 
I just walk around with my head held high and I'm like, wow, my knowledge is so much, <laughs> my knowledge is so much better than this. Um, <laughs> I don't, that's why I don't listen to the Chris, our, our, uh, Chris uh, uh, that coaches with us wrote to me the other day. Cause I, I've said several times on, I think, no, we were sending videos on TikTok about other shit. And he said, uh, you know, I thought you said you don't consume content. And I said, no, I don't consume content in the fitness industry, not like Pokemon content, WWE and all this other shit that comes up on my TikTok. I definitely consume that content, but just fitness industry content, I don't consume. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you and then you get start getting this this misguided approach. Like back in the back when I first started doing ISOs and and making it kind of like a thing that I was doing for tendons, it's like people started to think the only way to strengthen tendons is isometrics and. It's like, no, that's not at all. Yeah. And then even, even the case, just take specificity of like, what do you want your tendon to be able to do? And it's usually like the really, really hard explosive maneuvers. And yeah. I see isometrics are not preparing you for that. Um, and yeah. anyone who's got to the peak level of the explosive maneuvers, they didn't get it through heavy isos. They got it yeah. from that activity. And for some reason, this person developed pain. So let's rehab the person through mm-hmm. probably using heavy isos. Yeah. I think ISOs are great. Like I, I think now it's probably getting to the stage where people think it's just in initially at least like th- something heavy and something slow is is probably good, and it doesn't necessarily have to be isometric. But isometrics, I think now Keith Barr might argue with that, but I don't know. But isometrics are great in terms of like it takes away a bit a little bit little bit of the thinking. It takes away it's just easier to implement it's easier to measure it's easier to do a lot of things it's also easier to find maybe a position where it's not causing that much pain and start there and just stay there so isometrics are good in that fashion but they're definitely not the be all and end all um just one other thing with regards to the rehab of the patellar tendon versus the achilles so what uh what kind of peak force are going through the quads in like sprinting do you know uh no clue but it's pretty uncommon isn't it for someone to develop patellar tendon as a sprinter or i don't mean i don't mean with regards to tendinopathy just like i I just just with regards to like getting people back to plyos i like if you think about the achilles if you think about the soleus muscle like even in slow jogging there could be four or five times body yeah. yeah. yeah four or five times body weight going through the soleus but so, like, basically what I'm trying to say is with, with regards to the Achilles, I think it's so, so important. You can't do bodyweight calf raises and then go back running. Even to a slow jog, there's just such a spike there, But which is what a lot of people do. But with the patellar tendon, I do see, and I know you have plyos in your program, and I would obviously use plyos with all my patellar tendon clients, but I do see a lot of people who actually do get success just making the quads a shit ton stronger and progressively loading them and they seem to go back to sport and they're okay even if they skip a a really good plyometric program i just don't often see that with the achilles at all okay yeah 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 i've seen that with the the the, uh soleus like just whenever you jog or sprint like just blowing up with the the demands and then like hamstrings don't really come in till like you get a lot faster sprinting yeah Yeah. Yeah. um the quads i I wonder what the quads quads, yeah i just i just don't know but um i yeah, as far as like just a just a linear sprint. I mean, I 
the way I look at, and I think the loading goes along with, because I looking at the extreme of someone in pain, I think loading goes along with pain where it's like, if you load it, if you if you have a sensitive area and you increase the load, you're probably going to increase pain. So I would just take it. I've never seen the peak forces going through the quad in a, in a run. I don't know. I have no clue what that would be, but um, it seems like I, I just wouldn't recommend like a very fast sprint for someone early in patellar tendon rehab. Like I think that's actually provoked pain in quite a few people. So it's more just like a slow jog is probably fine. But I look at patellar tendon of like the jumping and the landing is blowing that thing up. And then it's the, the stopping. Um, I think, I think, I think, I think Jill said that once where it's like the, the Achilles is, uh, the Achilles is like a, a spring for storage and release and the patellars to withstand. So I almost look at like the, the activities that blow up patellar, jumping is like you're just shoving your knees forward basically and then coming off and then landing the same thing and then cutting yeah. the same thing when you're running you don't really have that stopping that you need it's like you're, no, you're cycling through continuous yeah. yeah and then it would be diesel whenever you got whenever you i think the patellar person if they get in like a a, a flying sprint and then if they don't have a lot of room to diesel that's probably going to yeah. blow up the patellar you know yeah i used to hate diesel i used to I used to jump off my right leg. I used to change direction a lot on my right leg, and then I developed tendinopathy on my right knee. And I had to, I, I changed like my my jump because we don't get a chance to in Gaelic football or hurling. You're running into a jump. You don't. You rarely get a chance to do like a squat jump. Let's say so. Um, so yeah, I, I had to start to change how I decelerated, like my penultimate step. I had to start to change. I, I changed everything. And also the, what was terrible for me was kicking when it was very bad. So we run and we kick like you're going to kick a rugby ball if you're running and kicking a rugby ball or something. So I, but I kicked off my left leg. So I had to plant my right leg and be super stable on that right leg while moving at high speed and then swing my left leg through the air and kick the ball. And that used to kill me. That used to kill me so much. So that's another like D cell, a plant like there. All those things used to kill my patellar tendon so bad. Um, my um, my friend in Chicago, uh, physical fusion is the gym. They have they do flying sprints, but it's a small gym, so they have this massive pad on the wall, the crash pad. <laughs> that's what that's how the patellar tendon rehab athlete can do a flying sprint. And just mm-hmm. run into the pad. There's no diesel needed. <laughs> no diesel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that pad is effectively being their patellar tendon. It's just like, stop. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have this research here that I put in my, I, I use in my workshop. So the hamstrings, uh, three, 3.49 meters per second. The hamstrings, 2.10 times body weight. The soleus, 6.7 times body weight. And then the Vasti is 4.7 times body weight at 3.49 meters per second. So like the hamstring is super low. And then in fast running, not even super fast running, but nine meters per second, the hamstring spikes up to nine times body weight. The soleus goes up to 7.3 times body weight and the quads then 4.8. So the quads actually doesn't go up much higher from super slow running to, to pretty fast running. Uh, the soleus doesn't actually spike that much higher. It goes from six times to 7.3, uh, but the hamstring goes from two times to like nine times body weight. Now you'll see different studies given different numbers, but in general, I think it trends in that direction. So basically don't get a, you can get, you can jog a hamstring tear or strain. You can get them jogging pretty early and sprinting is going to be a big issue for them, but for the calf issue or an Achilles issue, 
jogging is going to be the hardest. Almost getting them back into that slower jogging is going to be really difficult for them. And it seems like for the quads, like you're going to be you're going to be okay regardless. It's get it's it's going to be the the jumping and the deceleration yeah. that's going to be the hardest there. I wonder because um, patellofemoral patella patellofemoral uh, some of that patellofemoral research. If you take a, a rear foot strike and go forefoot, like it decreases patellofemoral. Um, so I wonder if that would also decrease quad. It probably would decrease quad if you took someone, if they're just doing a slow jog, heel striking. Um, yeah. Let's try more. If that's aggravating patellar tendon, patellofemoral, try more of a uh, forefoot or not letting the heel strike. Uh, but then the thing is, now you're going to blow up your Achilles tendon because you're not used to that. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, the whole thing, all that soleus force going through, then you have that, uh, some of those videos where it's like the KOT calf raise and they're saying the strongest, the muscle with the strongest pull in the world, the soleus KOT. It's like, dude, it's the strongest muscle in the world. And you're holding a 25 pound dumbbell doing a calf raise. Somebody, yeah, somebody has to use their brain and say, this don't make sense. How is this training the soleus? But yeah. I think me and you are the only ones that have have questioned that. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't there's definitely there's hopefully not the only ones but um they don't have plyometrics really as part of their program you know so not that i've seen i haven't seen their program but i don't see any of their coaches doing anything other yeah than, i haven't either i can see I, how the sled pull, i can see how the sled pulls can be helpful because like i actually funnily enough i used to do when i first started figuring out my what made my patellar tendon feel good which wasn't off the back of research it was off the back of doing loads of shit and seeing what helped it was like isometrics which i didn't even do for the for the patellar tendon i was doing chinese martial arts training and they used to put you in a horse stance have you ever seen horse stance and make you hold it for five minutes and (laughs) and my quads were getting smoked i was like my fucking quad is working here what's going on so um and then i used to put at the end of like gym sessions i used to put five or ten minutes on the clock and just push and pull a sled for for cardio and again my quad i was like my quads feel good here my knee feels good so it was just like heavy slow or isometric stuff and uh yeah, there was no reasoning behind that for me. It's just like this is. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I I, I think uh, I think ATG has been. I don't know if you agree. It's probably been a net positive because people in pain yeah. are are now loading. Um, yeah. It's the claims that I'm like I don't like some of those claims. It kind of turns me off. And then and then yeah, the the lack of like a plyometric progression has really blown a lot of people's uh, pains up because they they stop doing the sport. They do the they do the slow loading, feel amazing, try to hop back in, and it just blows up again. Um, I mean, I kind of, I kind of had the same, my, I stopped dunking and playing basketball for like two years and I just lifted and became a fat power lifter. And, uh, then I got back into, <laughs> then I got back into, into jumping and I could jump, I could jump, but like once a week and that was it because I like the, maybe not once a week, I was doing a lot of plows in the weight room, but dunking, dunking was always more stressed than actual, like, I guess hurdle hops or box jumps or whatever, but um yeah the whole change in load of like just lifting for lifting for many years got my patellar tendon my quads crazy strong compared to where they were when yeah. i was bad in, in bad pain but that's what i meant about the plyo you had, a lot of people could actually get away with with the patellar tendon just getting really strong through the quads and then going playing basketball they can get away with it it's not advisable but it, it people do get away with yeah. that yeah but not with the Achilles. Very rarely. Very rarely. If you go back into like just calf raises and then sprinting or playing sport, if you have a bad Achilles, it's not going to work. Um, 
Did I, I, I have a question for you. I don't know how long you wanted to keep going on. Um, Oh, whatever. Yeah. You had a, just don't ask me something that I don't know the answer. No, I, so I talked to, I talked to Matt Watson the other day about ruptures, like the mechanism for, for a rupture. You still there? My thing froze. No, I'm here. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, so you had one guy on your show. I forgot who this guy was, but I saw, I saw it on Twitter. He was talking about his, where his head is during a rupture. So he was on your show and he talked, you asked him, maybe you, maybe you can remember who this was. You asked him if, an Achilles person should do a seated calf raise or a standing calf raise. You remember that, Colin Griffin? Yeah, yeah, that's who it was. I would so say. Yeah, he said yeah. Um, he had a he had a he had a, a tweet. It was it was fascinating. He said about where his head is at with tendon ruptures, um, and he had like a list of five things. And um, one of them, I think, there was I forget I forget three of them, but I know two of them. One of them was. <laughs> You have a degeneration in the first place, like a, a, it's already structurally compromised. Because if it's not, if it's if it's strong, you're not going to rupture the thing. The tendon is is the amount of collagen and the amount of uh, integrity that a tendon has is is crazy. But when you start to damage the fibrils and whatever, then now it's compromised. But he said uh, Achilles rupture is the heels dropping, so like you're getting a pull on the tendon there, and then. The calf, I think this is what he said. I might be wrong, actually, but it's what I remember. Uh, the calf engages, but it engages like a little bit too late. Yeah. So it's like you're getting a pull on the tendon at the bone, and it's already lengthened. And then by the time the ca- the muscle is ne- the muscle needs to engage to pull the heel back up through the tendon, but it's already lengthened too much. The muscle decides to pull, and now boom, it snaps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you like have any thoughts on that. <laughs> well, well, uh, if you look at ACL ruptures, they're starting to think that that's what's happening as well as a delay. Uh, you know, when you see this big, huge valgus position that ACL, like uh, that, you would associate with ACLs, they think that they think that actually the the, the rupture has already maybe occurred at that stage. Uh, not, I don't know, but all of the time, and actually, we obviously don't know, but um, but yeah, they're starting to potentially think that like acls are going really really quickly really early uh that's why a huge part of acl rehab and potentially prehab even though like it's a stupid word but like it's just good training which you would you can consider prehab you don't want to train for something that hasn't happened you just want to train well is learning to pre-tension really well because once the foot hits the floor and your muscles you're waiting for your muscles to turn on in the right amount and co-contract it's too late. So I think you would probably start to maybe think about ruptures in the same way and Achilles tendon rupture in the same way that the, the, the time it's, it's, it's not always a strength thing. It's it's strength thing maybe, but also a timing thing. And that's why I think fatigue is such a big factor for ruptures. Uh, Our injuries in general, ACLs, hamstring tears, uh achilles tendon ruptures fatigue has to be such a massive factor because fatigue is not just going to change your potential motor output but actually the timing of the contraction which is such an important thing if you look at these high speed actions i think Mm -hmm. and that's like so i think first time i saw that was franz bosch where it was like the those processes the brain doesn't do anything right yeah, like no, it's too, like it, it's way too slow, way too slow. Yeah, this overcoming muscle slack, and and uh, that's where Bosch's argument is around injury and performance. These co contractions are so important, and that's why he actually 
is not a fan of heavy counter movement weightlifting stuff which i would say he's mostly incorrect in terms of what's happening oh no sorry not what's happening like the results that we can get by training people in deeper ranges and making them stronger we've all seen athletes just in performance go through the roof with that stuff but i would say that there, he's definitely onto something with the mechanism some of not some of the time he's onto something i just it's just hard to know where the line is between making someone stronger through a full range versus potentially making it harmful that they are now developing a need for an external load to overcome muscle slack or it's changing the timing or something like that so it's not mm-hmm. a, i don't think it's a big stretch to think that like heavy slow weightlifting all the time is changing how the system overcomes muscle slack and that need for external load to help it do that i just think it, there's a trip maybe i don't know the potential benefit versus negative of getting you stronger and, and look it probably just boils down to getting people stronger through the in deeper ranges and stronger in general plus actually training plyometrics making sure that they're doing both don't go full bosh don't go full bosh but like I, I definitely don't think go full bosh but also a appreciate the thought process behind it because he's probably onto something i had this i had this question on that the um the pretensioning and so i heard man i heard this about acl tears and it was like it's a fatigue issue the brain and it was actually raymond verhey and he's like i don't know if you heard of him the world yeah, the football soccer guy. yeah academy yeah but i think he was incorrect because he was he was it was like it was brain driven the ACL thing. He's like, you fatigue the athlete. The bra- the moment the brain needs to engage, it can't. And I'm like, isn't that process though too slow for the brain to? Yeah. See that. See, he's probably right. He's probably he probably means nervous system like reflexive system. A lot of people, even I, make that mistake of saying brain when I actually don't mean yeah, the, okay, the yeah. brain. I don't mean like a top down approach. I mean like. Yeah, I mean, um, these reflexive systems. I, so, I presume that's what he's saying, but maybe not. Maybe he actually thinks it's a brain thing. Yeah, and like from what you've seen, that's equally affected by, uh, I guess, fatigue is a very broad term, but that, that's equally, like fatigue would affect the reflexes and the brain similar. Um, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that, but fatigue will affect definitely firing patterns um yeah but even like think about think about think about a basketball game think about uh game six in world series or something like this and you look at players fatigue is setting in like it's such a high pressure situation you start to see players make mistakes in terms of handling like i just pass you the ball and for some reason i made a mistake that I would never drop that ball ever in a million years, but now I did make a mistake for some reason. It's a high pressure situation. I'm mentally fatigued in terms of I've had to concentrate so hard for this entire game and for all the previous games at the end of a long season. And I start to make mistakes. There's visual, maybe fatigue, like visually there's, there's motor patterns that are not quite as sharp. You can see visually players, actually making mistakes with their skills 
that they shouldn't and wouldn't ever make. So I think it's fairly safe to say that these things are happening under the hood as well, like in terms of the muscle firing patterns around the quads, around the Achilles, uh, around the entire body. There's, there's, and stress can change muscle firing patterns as well. So like this is all, all of this is interplayed. You can definitely see it. Everyone can see it. They can see it in Wimbledon tennis. When stress comes on, some people just buckle. So like absolutely fatigue is a fa- is going to be a factor and absolutely it's going to affect your skills, which we can see visually, but also underneath the hood, muscle firing patterns. I can't see how it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. So the, the question I got was if taking a person who's like five foot tall versus someone who's seven foot tall and being like, that speed, would it change? What do you mean? The I don't speed. understand So like question. if they have to... If they have that moment where the the calf muscle has to engage, it's the same exact maneuver, but this person has shorter limbs than this person does. It was like, does that change? And I was like, I have no clue. Well, I don't just don't think I understand the question, but of course it's different. But I was saying it, like, so the speed, the speed of, because how does this actually happen? The muscle, the the pretensioning, is it like? muscle senses what's going on goes to like spinal cord comes back that's is it a signal like that what is this i don't need so i'm so yeah i'm I'm just not a muscle physiology guy so i don't necessarily know yeah either 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 am i but it's this it's basically a, a history of there's vestibular system there's spinal cord reflexes that are happening and these muscles are going to it's why uh variety of landings would be so important as well so the muscles are getting a chance to learn how much tension they need if you ever look at a bodybuilder trying to jump like they have no ability to have the right amount of tension in their bodies it's not just uh it's not just that people think it's just a tendon thing it's like you were saying earlier it's, it's that's so annoying when people think that like, there's so much going on so yeah it's 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 the whole system it's the vestibular system it's the reflexive spinal cord blah 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 blah, and they're trying to coordinate together have the right amount of tension but what they do know is that the best the best athletes in the world or what we think we know is the best athletes in the world will have higher amounts of pre-tensioning in something like a drop jump before the foot hits the floor especially in muscles that can contract quicker like rec femme gastrox um hamstrings probably then muscles like soleus and glute max have a higher peak force so that they can they they need the ground and they need a little bit of time so that they can spike and and push really hard or contract really hard but other muscles are built to actually pretension now they will all pretension but other muscles are built to pretension a little bit better i can send you a couple of studies that i have on that which will oh. show you that yeah okay so the you said like the the Spinal reflexes. So, like the question, I guess to maybe explain better. If you have the, if you have the five foot guy, and if, <laughs> if it is a spinal thing, so like the spinal reflexes have to go to the muscle. You know, it has to go from the spine to the muscle. So, what's the question? The question what's is the, why, why the is question five, was, what's the five foot guy? The question was if the guy's five foot tall, let's say it has to travel, that, that spinal reflex oh, has, to, has oh, to travel oh, one oh. foot. If you're oh. seven feet tall, that spinal reflex has to travel oh. two feet. <laughs> okay, that was okay. the question. Yeah, that's the question. And I was like, he's like, do you have more chance of, a, of an injury or a rupture if you have like a, long, a taller, longer limbed athlete? And I was oh, like, so Colin actually said this, did he? 
Or questioned this? No, or no, no, is this no, your no. Question? It wasn't Colin. It was some random dude on IG, and I was like, "Oh, okay, okay." I was okay, like, okay. "That's interesting," but I have no clue. <laughs> that is interesting. That is, but, may, that but is I feel like I feel like we could be we could be way off on. Probably need to brush up on like how does the muscle, how does the pretension yeah, yeah, actually yeah, work? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. How does that actually work? And if it is like a distance thing that it would be a limiting factor, then it's like <laughs> okay, if it is a if it is a distance that has to travel, then yes, you don't want to be twelve feet tall. You'll probably <laughs> rupture your rupture your Achilles. <laughs> <laughs> but their system has dealt with being that tall for a long time. Okay, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> I, I, I'll, 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 I'm going to put right down on my list to get like some kind of physiologist who I would love to get Franz Bosch on sometime if I could. So, um, because I, I'm a movement guy, I know just enough about stuff, but like what I like to talk about and do is things that I can visually see. You know what I mean? Like I love, that's why I like talking about the, the movement of the bones and the joints, not because I can see bones, but like you can see the joint and you can see the bone movement but even when it comes to muscles for me i don't love talking about muscles that much because i can see if you're flexing and extending your elbow but i can't see like what muscle is doing that that well you know what i mean yeah and same with the tendon so that's why i love when i look at movement i look mostly at the joints and then i layer muscles on top of that and then tendons with that and then i think fascia has a massive role to play that's why I don't want to answer that question around the, <laughs> not that I have the answer around the tall and the short, because a lot of this is around tensegrity and um, we don't, we know nothing about that. And that opens up like massive uh, debates and arguments when you talk about fascia online, because people make fascia their God or else they pretend that it doesn't exist. And I think a lot of this, we're talking about muscle, but a lot of this could be like the fascia, the tensegrity of the entire system, in which case, that would be that would be even faster than potentially faster than some of these muscular contractions because the fascia has actually just been tensioned by being in a lengthened position and that's that's potentially very protective hey guys david here just wanted to take a super quick break from the show to tell you about our foot program slash achilles slash ankle slash toe shin calf just lower leg program so it shows you the exact step-by-step progression that i use with all my lower leg clients and i didn't think anything would eclipse the popularity of lower body basics and honestly the foot program is doing it people absolutely love it it's been made its way through the industry like wildfire so if you haven't uh got it got your hands on it yet i think it's probably the single thing biggest thing you could do to improve your results that you're getting with your clients and also change how you move from the ground up so i'll put the link in the show notes check it out i promise you won't regret it there was a so you're saying on uh glutes glutes so there was a paper i, I and i don't i actually I, I i don't know if i could find it again it was old but it was like they had they had they compared the the glute so the glute muscle and then the tendon and then the the i think it was the, the quad muscle and the tendon the soleus and the tendon and it was like if it's a fatter muscle shorter tendon like the glute they're yeah. like this is reliant for you to get a lot of output out of this thing uh, it relies on just the juice you can get from the nervous system, you know, or the juice you can get from the brain. But then as the quad, then as you get down into the soleus, it was like all pretension. Um, and then it was like the quad was like middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was something Franz Bosch said, I think, in his book where he was like, you have that 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 glute muscle. So like he was it, he was like, if he's going to support heavy lifting and bodybuilding, he's going to support it for the glute muscle. Yeah. 
not for the calf, not for the quad, but like probably his only muscle was probably the glute. Um, yeah. That was about it. But yeah, that's that that just made me think of like the the pre tensioning thing, and then the whole the world does seem to be on that side of let's get muscles bigger and every muscle bigger and stronger. Yeah. But it's like, well, does it matter though? Like, could we look at how long how long the muscle is versus the tendon? And that tells us how we're going to interact to get get the bones to do what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you look at, he, he looks at muscles like the rec fem, the hamstrings as very much like transferring energy. So there's going to be much more potentially in high speed movement, much more of an isometric contraction around there so that they can, like if you think, if you look at it, look at the, think of a rec fem, I think it's a really good muscle to think about, which is pretty straight down and attaching onto the hip here and then attaching onto the knee so potentially like transferring energy from the hip to the knee you know so and not like this it's a longer thinner muscle um the hamstrings will be longer and thinner the glute max is shorter and thicker so potentially built for forced production versus like just transfer of energy so that's what that's bosch's theory there and i think he's probably spot on to be honest because even look at sprinters you'll see big huge glutes on sprinters you won't see big calves you won't see massive calves and if you look at some research you won't see like the soleus yeah gets up to very high very high forces but like between pretty fast running and super fast running i don't think it spikes that much more because i think there's so much more reliance on the achilles tendon as it gets faster and faster not necessarily on the muscle itself but and again, this is all anecdotal, but like sprinters have huge glutes. Distance runners don't have big glutes. Sprinters don't have big calves and distance runners often do have big calves. So I think the faster you run, potentially the more distal tissues are more about contracting quicker rather than actually force production. Or no, that's wrong to say force production. Rather than like concentric pushing me off the ground, it's more about isometric contractions. The more distal the tissues are, I think potentially. Yeah, Does that makes sense. Did yeah. I explain that at all? Well, they they had a they had a, a tendon paper on. They they dropped um, turkeys. They dropped turkeys and uh, looked at. <laughs> they did a drop jump with a turkey. I think. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and punching rats and dropping turtles. <laughs> and uh, but this was a tendon one this, to show like the te- muscle tendon dynamics, you know, and see how uh, the muscle when a muscle goes eccentric, concentric does a lot. It does a, a lot of not does a lot of work, like requires a lot of energy or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but if it just does work by being isometric, then the tendon can do everything. And like the tendon doesn't require anything because uh, the tendon's like. Uh, who asked me this? They were asking about the differences of muscle and tendon and like muscle, muscle contractile tissue. And it's like the tendon is not a contractile tissue. The tendon is stupid. I guess, okay, I can't say completely because there is some of the cells on the peritoneum are like um, fibroblasts that actually can contract. Um, but for the most part, the tendon is just this stupid thing. Like there's not, you're, you don't, you, your, ner- your nervous system and your brain doesn't really have control over your tendon. You have the Golgi tendon organs, but like, that ain't doing much. It's all coming from the muscle or the bones. And that's mm-hmm. what's telling tendon. Like the tendon is just this stupid middle guy. Um, but yeah, a little bit of those cells that are working. The, the thing with development is like when you take a, a baby, their tendons are like all cells. And one of the theories was the cell, they, they kind of know that they have to be able to support a lot of loads through life and they can't contract like a muscle. 
So they lay down the scaffolding of collagen around them to protect the cells. I was like, that's, that is, I mean, if that's made up, that's a fascinating thing though. It's like, these cells are like, I need to, I need to protect myself. I know what's coming when you get bigger. So let's lay down a ton of scaffolding and basically the cells die off or they go away. And now like your tendon is, is basically all collagen. There are cells in there for maintenance, but yeah, basically all collagen. So, um, it, it is fascinating, but yeah, the, uh, the, the tendon can just sit there and be this dumb guy that uh, has no oxygen demands um, and just get takes a beating and can stand can withstand until you uh, try to deadlift 550 until you're laughing. <laughs> until you're laughing. <laughs> you're, you're starting to come more and more over to the, like, looking at the structure. You're starting to come more and more. Look at the structure. Look at the structure. That should tell us, like, what these things were kind of kind of built to do. Not I'm that coming they to the do dark other side. Things. You're coming to the dark side. And the more you come <laughs> to the structure, the more you start to think about biomechanics. And people people trying to disregard biomechanics even for patellar tendon. It's it's a stupid thing to do. If you it, Part of understanding biomechanics is also part of understanding, like, when someone squats. I'm trying to put a shit ton of load. Yes, I want to make your quad stronger so that your tendon feels better. But someone squats doing a good morning squat. You, you need to be able to see that so that your biomechanical knowledge can help you make the quad stronger. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So same with a leg press, you put your feet up too high, you like put your feet down lower on the plate, you're going to get more, potentially more quads. So like starting to come over to the dark side of understanding, <laughs> bio, but seeing how people that disregard biomechanics, it sounds great, but you can't train anyone because you have no idea what you're doing. You know? So, yeah. um, okay. We, I'm going to, I'm going to have to put a disclaimer at the start of this podcast that nothing we say here is factual. It's all been like... <laughs> potentially true but also potentially not so not because not because of like the science side of things but because i don't want people to say that we're just it's pseudoscience like as in you're just we we appreciate and acknowledge that what we're saying may or may not be correct here i know but you know what i've uh i was big on this you know james the thinker smith yeah, I was, I was him and like Raymond Verheyen, like they're very objective minded guys. And I was, I was big on that for a few years. And, um, I guess I've kind of shifted to be like, I want to make more money with my business. And <laughs> like, I've been wrong so many times, so I don't care. Um, I'm going to be hyperbolic. It's more entertaining <laughs> that way. Like listening, listening to Jill Cook speak is so entertaining because there's this, everything she says is so definitive and, and yes and no. And She's probably wrong on a lot of things, but it is entertaining. So mm-hmm. um, I like being that way, especially, uh, I mean, dude, your, your Instagram and business, whatever, it's blown up. And like, I was kicked, when I was kicked off IG for like two, three months, I don't know, I come back on like you and Matt Watson. I was like, dude, you guys are just taking over and I haven't seen any of this, but um, the... Uh, <laughs> I sent the, you a uh, message. I sent you, I was worried about you. I was like, this guy Yeah, is, I, I did appreciate this, that. I, I appreciate sent you an that. email. I was like, where are you? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I, that's, that's kind of the point I've got to where I'm like the, the correctness of, of my statements or whatever. I'm like, dude, in, in, in a week, I'm going to probably disagree with a lot of what I say. And that's just yeah. going to be probably for the rest of my life. Are, are, like how much of tendons am I going to understand? Maybe 0.05% by the time I'm dead. And, uh, 
if I can be hyperbolic in the meantime, I'll just be hyperbolic. Why not? Yeah, but I don't mean that. I mean, like, I, I 100% put your thoughts out there, not be afraid to say something. But also, 100%, we reserve the right to be wrong and change my mind at any stage. Yeah. That's what I mean, 100%. Um, so here's what I think. But also, I, I'm happy to change that at any stage if you present uh, the the evidence to me. Or not even, I, I don't even need evidence. I'll just swing <laughs> <laughs> swing whatever uh, i like the um, well th- this is um w- sorry one more. the uh this is why the the objective thinking and trying to um educate uh in the most factual way possible i'm like i'm really against that now because the memes that i use and the the, the artful the artful expression of like a jolly rancher uh patellar and a bubblegum achilles like you you want to put that on the on a research paper? You can't put that on a research paper, but it's like it helps me understand, and it's my way of understanding. And I think mm-hmm. other people can probably get the, get the concept better than saying a stiff patellar compliant Achilles. I yeah. tell you, it's it's like a bubbleicious uh, down at your ankle. You know, you're gonna you're gonna probably get it a little bit better, <laughs> even how, if it's uh, how um how much? Because I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about this, like. How much better for business is it when you post memes versus not posting memes? Of, uh, I don't know. So, like, my I have I have an ex, I can experiment with multiple pages, which is kind of my benefit having those for a long time. Like my my cluster page, I just like. So I had one. I had a Spider Man meme where it was like it was like a skinny Spider Man. He does eight by five, and then he gets bigger, ten by four, twelve by bigger, bigger, bigger. Um, I probably made like a few thousand dollars off of just posting this one meme. So it's like the more I can experiment with these, these stupid things, they just like on Twitter too. I posted that one on Twitter and that thing just blew up. Um, <laughs> and you can look at the traffic that comes in person. And like my program is only 47 bucks. So that's probably why I, one reason why I just like anyone has a question on the program, don't ask me questions Buy the program, oh, leave yes. me alone. Yeah. Um, like it's worked for thousands of people just buy the program. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it just, it's just experiment and it's just chaotic, man. It's like, you don't know what's going to take off or what's not going to take off. Um, and I know like you and Matt are doing your things with, with seminars and other products and whatever. And um, I'm just a slow guy and I'll get to the point where I, <laughs> I do some more things. But in the meantime, I'm going to release this, this tendon resource um, whenever I get, get around to understanding it well enough. And these talks help me because I can, I can, I can try to explain them to you and then I can realize... Uh, well, I, yeah, I can think. Yeah. I can think for the next few hours of like, wow, that I really cannot articulate my thoughts well. I don't understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Uh, podcasting has helped me so much over the years. Guest pod, being on guest podcasts and being doing Instagram. I like. I would be ten percent of the the smartness that I am if I didn't have social media. Just if I wasn't personally posting on social media and doing podcasts, and I'm not saying I'm very smart at all, but I wouldn't be anywhere near as good a coach or clinician as I am. Nowhere near. Just be just because I have to try and articulate my ideas better. So it's good. Yeah. You have, you're like the ultimate, if, if business coaches would like use you as the ultimate case study, you know the way they love talking about niches? Like you have the best niche. Here's here's my description of your niche. Male basketballers who also who want to be able to dunk one, want to be jacked two, and then end up hurting their knees three. So it's like 
<laughs> it's like a constant circle as well. Like, you know, so like yeah. I, I, I try and dunk. I get knee pain. I fix my knee. I try and dunk. I, I, but along the way, like while I, my knee is sore, I start lifting. And now I realize lifting feels good. So now I want to get bigger. So now I buy my other, your other pro- programs and stuff. And it's just like, it's the perfect niche. <laughs> it's the perfect niche. And you can serve them in many ways. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of look, I don't get, I don't give, um, yeah, I, I kind of look at why it is that way. And it's like, I saw this once from someone else. They're like, what, what are, what are people's insecurities? And then monetize their insecurities and you can make money. Kier, um, and that's what it is. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Kier. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it was Kier, but it was someone. Yeah. And, uh, but that's what, this is, I just have kind of documented my journey of being small and I was really insecure about being small. So I got big and then it's like, okay, I got big, but I got like slow and useless from the powerlifting and bodybuilding training. So then it's like, you can find some research on clusters and it's like, there you go, get big without losing your speed. And then I'm like, then I decided I want to dunk after my knee got healed. I want to dunk. And then I started dunking and it's like, my knee's blowing up again. And I went through patellar tendinopathy like four or five times. So then it's like doing that. And now it's just like the, the research side, but I, yeah, having those few things, I don't know what would come next. Maybe I have to like rupture my Achilles and then I can give some <laughs> Achilles, Achilles rupture advice. Like there's some not pe- enough people, lash. There's not enough lash out there. Oh my, no, there's not. And, uh, that's, that's probably what has decreased my curiosity towards it. Um, is yeah. like, I'm not going to take an active role in this, this lat tendon. Re- it's going to give me some uh, understanding of, of the tendon healing process, which has made me appreciate it. I've read it a number of times, but then you look at it and it's like, I mean, and, and, and what are they, they probably base a lot of this off of animals though too, but it's like you, it's, it's a month, it's months, uh, it's weeks and then months. Like you have the inflammatory proliferative, uh, remodeling phase. And it's like, uh, I posted about that yesterday where like you tear that thing and then all this blood comes in, but your body needs to put a cork in there to stop the hemorrhaging. So it puts fibrin in there, which is like this really bad scar tissue. And then collagen three comes in, which is another scar tissue. And then collagen one comes in to make it linear again. Uh, but that whole thing takes months. Mm-hmm. And, um, like you just appreciating, appreciating the thing. If I didn't appreciate the thing, I probably would have ruptured my lat tendon already again by trying to do something stupid. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's not enough lats out there. Like who, who cares about the lat tendon, uh, the lat tendon protocol? Nobody. No one. No don't, one. don't dunk basketballs hard. Don't deadlift 600 pounds and don't, um, have copious amounts of muscle mass and your lat yeah. tendons will probably be fine. A, a, a hip impingement would be a good one for you. You just should just start jamming your femur in <laughs> as hard as you can uh, for for like twelve months, and you'd end up with some kind of impingement type sy- symptoms, and you could monetize uh, that nicely. Have you ever thought this? I mean, dude, you're doing you're doing a lot with your, with your business, but I, I I've been pretty much the whole, ever since I've started. Maybe it's been a decade. It's like twenty four seven. I'm thinking about um, I'm working on something. You know. But I, I think it was Alex Ramosi, or no, maybe it was uh, Mark Bell. They were talking about uh, training, and they they had got their debt. Uh, actually, it wasn't either. It was Rhino Stan Efferding wrote the Vertical Diet. Probably deadlifted six hundred, squat five hundred. He did all this hard training for years, and now he's like he he just needs to train once or twice a week to maintain. And he was talking about um, he he he's done the labor, and now he can take the fruits of his labor. Yeah. And 
me tearing this lat and not being able to train anymore or dunk or really do anything, um, I just went on and started posting dumb memes on my hypertrophy cluster page. And it's like kind of realized for myself, like I, I trained for so many years and did so much work training myself, training athletes, doing, doing all the research that when is the time where I just chill? And uh, that was like, I had a few weeks where I'm just like, I'm just going to find stupid memes. I'm getting testimonies every single day, which will support them. Um, but that, that stage where it's like, I don't need to, I don't need to like work this hard anymore. I don't know if you've ever thought like that. Yeah. I think about that all the time thinking about like doing, doing something that scales, like doing it potentially, but even social media is frustrating, not frustrating, but in that way, you still, you still, if you stopped posting your, well, I don't know. I'm guessing that your revenue dropped when you didn't have your Instagram page. Yeah. I just use all that. Like I used, I started using Twitter a little bit and then my email list. But I also took like two weeks where I'm like, I get really emotional. Like that's probably why I am like the, 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 uh, what do they call it? Entrepreneur. What do they call it when you're by yourself? Solopreneur. 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 Yeah. Um, that's probably why I am this way. Cause I just, I hate working with people, man. I hated authority. I just, I didn't want to listen to anything and I just want to do things my way. So, um, just being that person period you're kind of a, a more emotional like whimsical person and that's just who i am so like yeah when i got kicked off ig for whatever reason i'm just like i'm just gonna isolate for a while and uh, mm-hmm. which for me is sometimes a bad thing to do because i isolate and i don't want to talk to a soul mm-hmm. uh, but sometimes it can be good uh but that's yeah. probably why i started the business I, I would have to assume that's probably kind of why you must have started was you, do you really want to go work in some clinic or go work for some other person and have authority figures over you? No, I couldn't. I could never work. I can work with people, but not for anyone ever again. You, you know, I, I really, really don't do well. You know, there's people talk about this bullshit phrase of like how you do something is how you do everything. That's bullshit. I was the worst at school. I barely scraped past every exam for my entire life. I got, I, I was, I had mastered the art of getting 40 percent in every exam just by asking my friends like tell me what you've been studying for the last six months and like sometimes they'd fail and i'd come out and pass and like, they'd hate me for it but i just they just pass uh i was shit employee for every job i ever had and then i started this thing and now i'm gonna i'm a brilliant employee for myself <laughs> <laughs> you know but i'm I, i'm very clear with our business what i want it to be and what i don't want it to be and I don't want it to be high maintenance. I don't need it to be this world domination thing. Uh, I want it to be very successful, but I, I am not willing to sacrifice. Like I don't want to have twenty people working for me. It's a lifestyle business. That's what it is. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I struggle. I struggle with a lot of this. I I do go on and get business advice, whatever, because I'm like doing it all on my own. So I'll, I'll seek things out like that. But um, it's really hard for me to listen to other bits and probably to my own demise but i'm like i am who i am uh but it's like it's like uh people telling you this this is the way to make money and i'm like i made zero dollars for like five years online and i could have followed all the business advice in the entire world and it's like who would have thought that today i would be one of these guys with the patellar tendon like Mm -hmm. three years ago i didn't know a single thing i don't even know 
you, I could you know when I, I tie, could, when I tagged you in that story that I was laughing because I took a screenshot because the question was like who's re- who's great with patellar tendon rehab or who's the best or something and like I just went on your page and took a screenshot of you sitting there with like, in like a singlet with, the, with your hair all over the place in a, <laughs> in a <laughs> <laughs> in a in a sling <laughs> doing a leg extension <laughs> i just put i just tagged it i was like this guy somehow it's this guy is <laughs> the best and i just thought that was so funny i was sitting on my couch just like that's the perfect example of the world we live in now like you could be whatever the fuck you want and it just you don't have to listen to anyone yeah <laughs> oh but uh, i i yeah, I'm like, I'm like, uh, and I try to, you try to look at like the way things have worked for you might not continue to be, be the way things are going to work. Yeah. Um, but I do keep that in the back of my head, but I'm like, if I just look at the history of what has been successful for me is like, I just have done my own thing and I've documented the work that I've done for like the years leading up. So yeah, yeah the tendon thing for me is going to, is going to take out even more, but I'm like, I'm only three years in. So yeah. I, I give me another two and I got this thing on lockdown, I guess, I guess the patellar yeah. tendon, um, like the, the rehab program is, is great. And it works for people. I'm just now curious on the whole digging into the science more. And you know what, maybe it's not, um, uh, what, are, what are the practical takeaways I'm going to get after months of reading these tendon books? Maybe there's one practical takeaway, yeah. but I don't care. It's interesting to me. Yeah. You'll be the guy that, knows that stuff like if there's questions there and also more importantly than anything else you always remember that you have proved unequivocally to yourself that when you set your mind to something you can do it and that is such an underrated thing and that is what a lot of people i know are missing you know for a fact that now if you want to set your mind to anything else pretty much like you can learn anything else you started you zero knowledge about about this stuff and now you're one of the people in the world. That is a very powerful thing to just know. You have that faith. Because how many other things in your life have you, in the past, you're like, yeah, I think I want to do this thing. And then you end up kind of quitting or you end up like not quite following through or just kind of half arsing it. That was me for years, just not doing something, not following it through for, for good reason. A lot of the time, I just didn't like it. But now I have proof that if I want to do it, if I truly do so the question is not can I do it now it's do I is should I do this is do I really want to do with this thing you know so that proof is important have you one thing one problem I've gotten recently and I guess you might be different you mean you work are you married now you're married yeah you have yeah. You, you and your wife are dude so like I do everything on my own yeah everything and I have people I hang like I have some of my boys I hang out with and train and play basketball with her. Uh, the lat tendon has turned me no basketball, no dunking, uh, no heavy lifting, which is like our our community thing we do. Um, so I've just kind of stopped hanging out so much. But I've I have such a hard time um, when I'm like working on this thing and doing it all on my own and have this have this vision for what it's going to become, and then the people around you are just working some nine to five. Yeah, it's like it's it I. I don't want to say like it's it's lonely and it sucks because it's like you kind of I kind of did it to myself by like yeah. if I worked in college right now I would be complaining about I would be complaining for hours about athletes and coaches and everything but there would be a community around me that I yeah. could do that with uh, but then you go and you do the business on your own and it's like 
you're completely ice. I mean, you have people you work with, so like I'm completely isolated. And then your boys who you've been with your whole life, uh, they actually somewhat try to sabotage you because you're they like, can't relate to you. Yeah. And you're, well. if you're going to tell them like, I'm trying to take this to seven figures, they're going to be yeah. like, they don't want to hear that. They don't like that. Yeah. Um, so it's tough. It's tough being around that. And I think it actually really, I don't know if it inhibits me, but I think it does. It, it 100% inhibits you. Absolutely, it does. Never, never, never. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to like cut these people out of your life. Like, absolutely not. But there's a reason why that if you went to Silicon Valley, there's all these secret clubs like Elon Musk is, there's a reason why they pay to be, at the, in the rooftop or a, a membership in the tennis club or in these elite secret like gentlemen's clubs it's because or whatever the fuck clubs it's because they're around other people who are like them that is so important and i don't have much of that i don't i, I have very little of that like kira is not that person we just can't she is working in the business as well as me but she has her stuff to do i have my stuff to do it's not we we can't talk about business in that way we can talk about things that we need to do but we can't have conversations around it because actually it was like a massive sledgehammer hit me several months ago where we were having an argument and she said like i'm i'm starting to become like an anxious person i realized like this is my fault because it was me trying to like drive the business forward and trying to get her to be better at stuff when actually that's not what she signed up for, you know? So that, that hit me. That was like a moment of clarity that I've never had in my life ever before, ever, ever, ever. When she said that I, I actually, I'm not like the most, I'm a very logical person. I'm not the most emotional. You know, some people have these, like that song hit me so hard. Like every single day, it's something like this, or I read a line and it just hit me. That thing hit me when she said that. And, and it wasn't like a big thing, but when she said that, I realized like I'm put, putting pressure on him, on her, without realizing it in this way. And actually, I can't do that. So I can deal with it, but she doesn't, she doesn't, she didn't sign up for that. Yeah. And neither wow. did your friends. <laughs> <laughs> and they will try and sabotage you of course they will not, not know, because I, they're bad people but that you're living a different life to what they are living dude and i think the moment for me that really when i before i got my uh, division one job at youngstown i lived in i lived in the same area my whole life and uh, i started the business you know i started putting stuff online and it's like my closest friends would be like what are you doing like you know like they wouldn't say that but it's like they give it that energy of like what do they say like crabs in the bucket thing you're trying to trying to get out and they pull you back down they're like dude why are you writing these articles like you're not you're not good enough to be doing that what experience do you have uh whatever they wanted to say and then i got that job in ohio and i moved which is like 12 hours away i didn't know a soul out there and i was there for three years and that was my time to like uh isolate and be be away from everyone that i knew who was giving me advice and i realized i was actually dating a girl at the time and I didn't want to date her. I dated her for like three years. And I, I don't think I should have dated her for a single day. But all of the all of the advice that all my friends and family gave me were like, hey, because they were just like, you'll work it out. You know, you'll find a way to work it out. You, you're supposed to go through tough times. Then I moved to Ohio and I'm like, a month in, I'm like, I don't want to date this girl. Like, I can finally think for myself. Um, so I got rid of all that, all that influence. But I definitely think... Yeah, being around your closest friends was like you're trying to pull out of their life because they're still enjoying going to going to whatever 
spots you guys hit up and then going to the 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 gym and they enjoy the routine of everything and then yeah. it's really abrasive for you to be like don't you want a better life bro this yeah. is lame <laughs> yeah. um and i still kind of do that i i always do that to people of like trying to look at, at what's coming next and you realize that people are uh, the majority of people are not about that yeah yeah that's it's a good and bad thing it's a le- what allows you to be in this especially in this industry and i said it i've said it so many times on so many podcasts if people study for 10 minutes a day to be at the top of the industry in two years easy easy it's not difficult but they won't do that and that's a good thing because it allows people like you and i to actually make a lot of money and do good stuff because you just realize that you can separate yourselves yourself pretty easily but also on the flip side it means you're isolating yourself more and more from people like that which i don't i don't mean that in a bad way like it's important to have people in your life that aren't in any way talking about business or thinking about this stuff at all it's so important and it's not like the value of a person there they can be amazing people but i just don't want to work a nine-to-five i don't want to do what my dad did for 30 years which is working a job that he actually didn't give a shit about and <laughs> just live for the weekend i don't want to do that you know so i don't know it's tricky it's tricky that's why community like podcasts can be good listening to podcasts can be good because you get to listen to like-minded people uh it's almost like you're hanging out that's why podcasting i think is so good because it's an intimate form where actually it feels like you ever listen to podcasts and you feel like you're friends with the person that you're listening to like you can relate to them I don't know if I've had that. I do. Not oh. that I, not that I, uh, yeah, I do. I do. We all do. You're in, they're in your ear for like an hour. So yeah, you got it. You're the average of the five people you spend well, the most time with. Recently, I've been listening to those tendon podcasts, which are trash. And then I've been listening to my friend started a, a college strength conditioning podcast and talk about all the problems at college strength. So I'm like, I'm like, this is comical, man. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care about any of this stuff. Uh, but the, the guy has a good vibe. So, um, but yeah, I do have, um, I do one of my, one of my friends here um, from high school is like he he's has nothing to do with this world at all, but. I can tell him that I'm, I'm on every day. I'll be like, yo, how much you make today? And I'll just be like, yo, I'm running up the bag, man. And, uh, <laughs> he, he, he will, he will, um, he will celebrate my victories and exactly. he's like the only guy who can do that. But I'm like, I appreciate that so much that you can, you, and it's authentic. Like he, he genuinely, uh, can, 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 um, be on my side, but it's crazy to see that a lot of people in your life are not, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. You should, if, if you think it's bad there, you should come to Ireland and see it. You can't, you can't drive a nice car here. Everyone will hate you. If you drive oh. a fucking BMW, a new BMW here, everyone hates you <laughs> instantly. If you go to America, at least there's the idea of the American dream, which is like, there's a little bit of applause for like, he has a pair of balls on him for going to do this thing. If you show any little bit of ambition in Ireland, they will pull you down so hard. <laughs> It's it's amazing. Kier talks about that. England is quite similar, I think. But at least there's an idea of the American dream. People appreciate someone trying to get ahead. But yeah, maybe wow. it's still there as well, though. Tall poppy syndrome. You try and cut the cut the head off the poppy. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, where can people find you that don't know you? Uh, uh, Instagram, Jake Tura, T-U-U-R-A. And my Twitter. You are not on Twitter at all, are you? 
no, I can't. I, I oh. got to stay away. Okay. Yeah. So I go on Twitter every once in a while too. Um, but yeah, those are basically my two spots. I have a podcast, Jack the Athlete Podcast. I'm probably, once I get done reading these tenon books, I'm going to have so many questions and I'm going to reach out to all of these uh, <laughs> researchers to ask, to answer the questions for me. Um, problem is I got to figure out how to get them on because some of them do not benefit whatsoever from getting on a podcast. So they <laughs> might need uh, monetary compensation. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say something else. Have you, have you done, have you gone on threads? No, no, I don't. Uh, no, I don't think I will. I, I was off. I was off, uh, social media for a week and, uh, came back and there's this thread threads thing going on. And I'm like, God, I don't care to look into this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might. I don't think it's available in Ireland yet. So I might have a look at it because it passes over your followers from Instagram automatically. And I feel like you could make some good sales there through text-based stuff. But mostly for me, I've just focused on making Instagram as big as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's been a good, that's been a good thing. I put all our resources there and then have the podcast for people who want to like really binge. But you've done, it seems like you've done a good job at YouTube as well. Yeah, I haven't done YouTube in a long time, but I think that's one thing where you, you said when you stop posting IG, you're basically gone. If you stop posting Twitter, you're basically gone. I think the benefit yeah. of YouTube is that's you're there. Around. You go search. Yeah, you go search YouTube, Patel or Tendon. Yeah. Um, you'll probably see one of my videos, which are like 70 of them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I am. I am like I had a time where I just I just pumped out these these different Patel or Tendon videos. And I think those are ones that that stick and they stay and people are going to keep finding them. So I think that's a platform where it's like. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can just disappear and people will still know that I or they'll still find my content. But mm-hmm. you go 100%. away from IG or Twitter, it's like you're gone. Yeah, yeah, I know that's an that's an issue for us. Um, okay, man, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Hey guys, David here again. I hope you really enjoyed that episode with Jake. Uh, as always, he's the man. He's one of my favorite people in the industry and he's just himself so that's what i really appreciate about him appreciate about jake he's unapologetically himself and i think he is the man uh just a reminder to check out our foot program our foot ankle and achilles program it'll show you step by step how i take any of these people with like patellar or sorry not patellar uh, achilles tendinopathy uh, plantar fascia shin issues calf issues and yeah i can kind of bucket them all together because what we do is make sure the ankle is moving really well the foot is moving really well build a ton of strength all through that lower leg and that foot and then bring people back through plyometrics until they can tolerate a pretty high level of impact and also coordinate well not just tolerate impact but actually use that impact and use that collision so that they're moving in a really nice way so i'll put the link for the foot program down in the bio and uh, you won't re- you won't regret it. Over two thousand people have got it so far. It's been used by coaches and therapists with their clients around the world, and people absolutely love it. And it massively opens your eyes up to all these ways that we can train that aren't just doing calf raises and tail scrunches. So, uh, yeah, check out the program. Thanks again, to Jake, and I'll chat to you guys next week. <laughs>